0: Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's a pleasure. Uh, I think we're all uh, big fans of
1: yours, so this is very oh. odd. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: let's let's not let it get awkward. <laughs> no, let's get it. Let's let it get really awkward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: have you heard our podcast before?
1: I have. Oh, uh, oh no! Early on, yes. I, I heard. Um, I heard. A couple of early episodes, I think, and I haven't been okay. able to listen for a while. No,
0: that's that's the experience uh, so of most people. Unless
1: it's changed massively, they <laughs> yeah. can
0: they can listen to a couple of episodes and then they cannot listen anymore. <laughs> that's, that's that's been the theme. Um Okay, cool. So you pretty much know that we're like not all of us are Manix
1: fans. And, yes, we are yeah. now. Right. Oh, okay.
0: Because one
1: of the first time, Lucas one of you. Barely listen to anything by the Manics. This guy. Right, there <laughs> you yeah, go. That's Lucas. There you Yes, Lucas. Yes.
3: And now I know them more than any band ever. F- yeah, because <laughs> of all Just the homework we've, we get Because we've had to do so much homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm Brilliant. the one that's been a fan since I was like 13, 14. Right. And then Steve has sort of had that through osmosis because he's uh, a good friend of mine.
1: Yes. Right, I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, full mean, disclosure, none of you are Welsh. No. You're no. We not. Right, Sadly okay. Right. No, 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 it's fine. Just so I just so I know.
0: <laughs>
1: and you yeah. are,
0: is that correct? I am Welsh. Yes. Right, okay, cool. I was I vaguely am. aware of that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I just
1: I just sort of always find it um an extra lovely thing, uh, that um the people are into the manics who aren't Welsh. <laughs> Not that it should just I mean that makes it yeah. sound like Manics are only, you know, interest very exclusive. But I it just it warms my heart somehow oh. um a bit more. Yeah.
0: That's really that's a really nice uh, way of looking at it. A, a lot of our guests have been Welsh actually. All we've right. had we've had Neil, who I think you know from the Welsh music podcast because I think you've chatted to him. All right, yeah, yeah. Um and we've had Greg Haver the producer of a couple of the Mannix albums. Yeah. Um and and yourself and you're right. all Welsh. They, yeah. I d- don't know why I made that observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's good to know. It makes me yeah. feel
1: more comfortable and
0: uh, okay. Home. That's good. Thank you. That's Very good. Much. Uh, and also, uh, hello and welcome to "Do You Love Us," a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music. Of Manic Street Preachers. Uh, we are going through their discography, album by album, track by track, asking the questions, does context matter to the way you listen to music? Does knowing the history of a band give you a larger appreciation for their output? And we're, more importantly, we're asking the question, do you love us? Us being the band members and music of Manic Street Preachers, not us, the hosts of the podcast, do you love us, to which you are now listening? That gets shorter every time I do it. Well done, uh, Adam. <laughs> I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. With me, obviously, is Lucas Way. I'm very warm. Uh, and Steve Murphy. Also warm. And today we're joined by uh, actor, political activist, busiest man alive, and Manic Street Preachers fan, Michael Sheen. Ice cold. <laughs> Ooh. 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 Good lord! <laughs> uh, Michael welcome to the show thank you um, very much I've never called it a show before in my life um, I only come on shows so you okay, better start that's... getting used to calling <laughs> thank god um, you are I mean you know this you're an actor in yes. film television and on stage I uh, do know that yes you've played journalists and politicians and football managers and robot bartenders and Jesus mm. uh, which I think makes you the most qualified person we've had so far to answer this question huh. what is music
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is the answer that our heart yearns for and can barely understand when it comes but it soothes the monster within us Oh, that's so obviously that's the, the best answer we've had so far. That's the
0: kind of answer you get when you have, like, a Shakespearean actor on the podcast. Michael, can I, just,
4: can I just embarrass Lucas for a second? When we asked Lucas in the very first episode, he said, it's some notes in a row
1: that sound nice. <laughs> I stand by. Mm. Well, I have to say... I like the directness of that. Yeah, and, in the literalist of senses. And that probably is true. the Mannix would, you know, prefer that answer. They certainly yeah. James would just look at me with a very withering look if he heard what I just said. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, you're, you are known as an actor. Has music always been a big part of your life? Uh, absolutely. I mean, increasingly so, in that. You know, you hear a lot of people say, Oh, I grew up in a house where there was music playing all the time. I don't remember music ever being played in my house when I was growing up. Oh really? Um, no. That uh, is unusual. Yeah, can't remember. I mean, I guess the radio must have been on, but my mum and dad not particularly into music really. I mean yeah. I do remember like my mum my mum telling the story about when she was a kid growing up in, in Port Albert, that her her and her friends when they were teenagers would go down to the Beach, there's like a sort of promenade place, and people, and someone had got a record player, and they were playing, I, I don't know, rock and roll. She just called it rock and roll. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the Beatles. I don't know, Elvis. Maybe who? Um, yeah. Uh, and and someone had a, a record player on the back of like a car or something, and they played it on the beach, and everyone danced. I mean, it sounds like Greece and yeah. Patel, right. yeah. I mean the film Greece, not the place Greece. Um, and <laughs> yeah. and, and Patel, but is not really like the film Greece but so she must have enjoyed that but I don't really remember my dad or my mum listening to music much and when you <laughs> when I tell you the first album I ever bought oh please do. um it'll become clear how far I've come the first album I ever bought and this was before I had a record player or anything to play it on
2: right. was
1: an album by a band called the Baron Knights have you heard of them nope Does the confused expression give much away? (laughs) Do you know what? I'm glad you haven't heard of them. They were essentially a sort of comedy parody group. They were like the British version of Weird Al Yankovic, but much less cool. And Weird Al Yankovic isn't that cool, to be honest. Um, (laughs) And I think they had an album called Nights of Laughter, and I had that. I I have no idea why I bought that. I must have heard something and. But you couldn't play it. But I
0: couldn't
1: play it. So I just looked at it. You just wanted to own it. Yeah. yeah. And how um, old are we talking at this point? We're talking about. Ooh. It's probably about. Tw- oh, God. How old would I have been? Like. Careful, because you ten, might say. An, oh, ten, that, okay, 11. That's,
0: that's just about the right age to be buying, like, a parody yeah, album, I yeah. suppose. If you said 13, <laughs> that would have been too It'd old. It'd be tricky, wouldn't it? And then within <laughs> a
1: very short space of time, by the time I got to about 12, I was. I remember, like being really into, well, Oh Superman, the Laurie Anderson weird song, um, Oh Superman, yeah, yeah. inexplicably became a bit of a chart hit. And I loved that. So I obviously had a sense of the sort of the the strange and the odd and the eccentric mm. at that point. Mm. Um, and I remember buying my early singles. This is when I did have a record player. Early singles like, um, well, my favorite song and probably in some ways still is, is Vienna by Ultravox. I loved that. Um, I loved cars by you know Gary Newman. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a lot of that Yeah. So I was buying a lot of that kind of thing. So I was I was very into it by then. And then within a fairly short space of time, I was listening to uh, 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 the Friday Night Rock Show with Tommy Vance on the radio. So that was the progression. Oh, Tommy Vance. Yeah. And yeah, that was around okay. the time I got into. And this is relevant to what we're going to be talking about <laughs> because. I I was very into Rush. Rush were my big passion when I was like right. a young teenager. And that when I first heard the Manics, weirdly, it was the Rush influence that I that that led me to them. And have and in the time since, and I never I was sort of embarrassed to even mention it to James or Nikki or Sean when I, <laughs> when I met them. And 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 I, it came up in some way, and they were like, "Oh, yeah, I, we love Rush, we love Rush." So I was, mm. so my suspicions were confirmed that actually, <laughs> uh, And we'll talk about this more because I've got a whole theory about. <laughs> why I oh, love the Mannix and why I think they're so amazing. Michael's um, just
0: pulled out a big folder full of papers with <laughs> yes. uh, scrawlings on. <laughs> Bring up odd. the
1: records!
0: <laughs> music
2: elves! <laughs> so,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean that makes sense. I suppose if you're into Rush, I was going to ask how you get from the Baron Knights to the Mannix Street Preachers. So what what was that first Mannix
1: experience then that, that made you think of Rush? Um. Well, it's hard now to remember what happened in what order. But let's yeah. let's say, yeah, all right, I I'll take that the, this is not my first experience of the Manics, but their okay. their very first song, their very first single, Suicide Alley, mm. I would say, in its most stripped-down version, is a cross between, you know, the Clash, Sex Pistols, and yeah. Rush. So you've got the kind of directness, the simplicity, the directness, the blunt instrument of punk. And yeah. then that but the chord progression that's going on in the background could be off um, like Tom Sawyer or, uh, you know, um, uh, Moving Pictures' Rush album. It's like it's got a it's got a prog rock specifically Rush chord progression going on in the background whilst you've got this kind of punk thing going through it. And so that in itself explains sort of why I love Manic Street Preachers, because I really love punk stuff. I know I love the Sex Pistols, I love Clash. I love, you know, I, all the stuff that they were into, New York Dolls, all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I was also a massive, like, prog rock fan and and uh, and love, like I say, Rush. And so, obviously, the prog rock stuff was what punk was supposed to do away with. Yeah, uh, be in, fighting in, against. Exactly. Yeah. And yet, the Mannix, I think, are sort of a mixture of the two. They've somehow created the sort of tension. That tension between prog rock and punk, The the one... In, in reaction to the other, the one supposedly just like shitting on the other and saying fuck off to it and never yeah. come back. That tension is in their music. That's what I think, that's what appeals to me about their music generally is that balance.
4: It's something that I've learned going through this podcast, finding out more about the albums. I came in, um, I'd heard Send Away the Tigers and I'd heard a couple of other bits and pieces, the singles and things like that. That's where I sort kind of came in. Right. But certainly going through their career, that we've noticed so far is a massive juxtaposition between image, you know generation terrorist glam rock punk, and then just these poetic lyrics and um and they've always done that kind of thing of of an image, and then there's a message behind it, and that's one thing that's really struck me as. Mm why they're such an interesting band, I think. And they're so um, much
3: more interesting than I expected. I they were going to be so boring. And then, and then you liked them. Oh, no. I turned out to like them. And now I can't be like the negative voice on the podcast anymore because I kind of just like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really unfortunate.
1: Well, I was thinking, because I've been going back over, you know, everything, knowing that I was, you know, going to be talking to you about stuff, and so I've been listening back to it, and it just it hit it really hit me again that the journey that they have been on as a band. Oh, it's mad. Is sort of. I mean, it's almost incomparable to to anyone else. Just, yeah. I mean, even just the. You think about the band who made Generation Terrorists, also made, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, via this via the Holy monumental <laughs> ba- album, The Holy Bible. And yeah. that doesn't even mention the album that uh, Design for Life is on. And that's just, like, the first half of their career. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, uh, it's the unbelievable. First, that's what? That's seven years' worth of being a band. Yeah, those yeah which isn't... Just the journey yeah. in that space of time is huge. So yeah. it's similar to the journey from the Baron Knights to the Man Street.
2: Beaches. So for
3: context for you, Michael, we are... Obviously, we're going through them in order. Steve and I are up to lifeblood. I mean, Steve's heard Send Away the okay. Tigers, cause he used to, but I post-life blood don't know a thing i've right. not heard a single okay. song apart from your love alone is not enough because i remember seeing it on tv right i watched the music video we were in the other day and i played a i played a different song in the background and put it on mute because i didn't want spoilers <laughs> right yeah so you, you so just
1: to confirm you haven't got to the country and western phase i've yet. gotten
3: to now i'm going to country and western, i have <laughs> right, okay. yet to get I wouldn't to put the it rap past album them. the rap
1: album hasn't yet rocked up well they released a christmas oh. single which i didn't even know i only found that out recently <laughs> Really? Yeah. That, I didn't even know that oh, there was a Christmas. Yeah.
0: Oh, that Christmas Brilliant. single. It's uh, like a proper 70s Christmas oh, yeah. single, isn't it? It's got a saxophone on it. It's, it's got, got sleigh bells. Yeah, it's got a reference to scale Is there and, sleigh bells? Oh, yeah, of course there is. There is plenty is. of yeah, sleigh bells, yeah. We, we, we'll get to that later on in the Wait,
2: year. Wait,
3: which single is this? This isn't Last Christmas, is it? No. It's a no, different no, no. No, Christmas no, that's, single. That's
0: Wham. Last
1: Christmas is
2: Wham. But no, no, they did a cover, we learnt. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: They've done they've done their own Christmas
0: single,
1: yeah. It's think? called Ghosts wait. of
0: Christmas. Ghost,
3: oh yeah, it's ooh. got
1: m- sort of multiple names. It's like back in Elizabethan times when every everyone had their versions of their names. It's called like Ghosts of Christmas, Ghosts of Christmas, The Ghost of Christmas, The Ghost, yeah, <laughs> Ghost of
4: Christmas is, is exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. That's one of them.
1: That's definitely one. <laughs> of but them. the But fir- I think the fir- I'm I'm certain that the first time the Mannix really kind of like punched me in the face was um rude watching them on top of the pops doing faster yeah right that that was is the, the watershed, watershed moment with yeah. the balaclava yeah. yeah with James with his balaclava on helpfully with the name James on it yeah. Yeah. Well, you couldn't um, see him so you needed to be able to yeah. know which yeah, yeah. One yeah. It was. <laughs> and uh, uh and yeah and Nicky looking like Godzilla towering like <laughs> yeah. taking up most of the stage with his legs um and and Richie you know, and w- weirdly, uh, the camera doesn't linger much on Richie, which is sort of mm, uh, mm. watching it again the other day, I was sort of interested because like Richie was beautiful, i mean he was- ext- yeah. you know he was extraordinary looking, and sadly because he was not well, it did it made him look like the archetypal rock star, and yeah. yet the camera doesn't sort of linger on him. it spends far more time on the sort of teenage girls in pretty summer dresses, And yeah. you just think. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And Vic and Bob. Vic and yeah. Bob in the yeah, audience yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of grinning in their out you know, in their suit. And then these young girls who you think who seem to be enjoying themselves, but you know, they must have been terrified by what yeah. we're coming on to.
2: <laughs> they were usually
1: there to see
3: like steps or something.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. And they they've all they've obviously been shouted at. You will look like you're enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then yeah. and then there's the Mannix just I mean just from the very opening of you know when he go I am an architect and it's so kind of echoing Johnny Rotten doing I am an antichrist you know yes. it had that kind of I mean that I think self-consciously so he's Definitely, there they yeah. are on top of the bobs going I am an architect they call me a butcher and and that sort of impact of that and uh, uh, and then just the whole performance is just extraordinary now I I hadn't seen at that point the performances they'd done on Top of the Pops in ninety-two, where I think I think their debut on Top of the Pops was was in January of ninety two, doing You Love Us and then I think they did Suicide is Painless a bit later on yeah. that year. And that was the the white jeans and oh, James yeah. with no top on. Yeah, looking. the topless, I top mean, the pops. Yeah. I remember a very good friend of mine watching the Liverpool football team come on to the pitch in their white suits the year of the FA Cup final when Liverpool wore white suits. Oh, that,
2: yeah. <laughs> and, oh he looked at,
1: and he looked at Jamie Redknapp in his white suit and he said, I am a straight man, but I would. And when <laughs> I saw James in his white jeans and his bare top, I sort mm-hmm. of knew how my friend felt. That is an attractive young man. Yeah. Oh, Doing yeah. That, that Abs- is amazing. <laughs> um, they all yeah. are, though.
0: All, the, the young Manic Street Preachers are, like, yeah. a beautiful... Like, you could see them being a boy band if it wasn't oh, for, like, yeah. the kind of music that they make. Mm. Yes, you know, exactly. all sat yeah, on stools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you say that like they're not still beautiful, up. but
3: have you seen James D. Bradfield's recent beard? Oh. It's majestic.
0: He's giving you a run for your money, Michael, <laughs> as fuzziest
1: man in Wales. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, I'll have to. I'll have to ask him to send me a picture of his beard. We can have a beard off. Yeah, Yeah. but yeah. So I think that was the first. That was the first time they that I just went, "Who the fuck is this?" Yeah, and uh, and that was it. And they became a fixture in my life from then on. From the Holy Bible onwards. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. From that. From that period. And um, I mean, it took me a while before I really kind of dove in there, but. um, And, and obviously a lot longer before I actually met them and got to know them and 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 uh, and and started to sort of do things with them. Um, but uh, but yeah, from from pretty much that period on, really. I, I, I and to be honest, I I didn't really appreciate Holy Bible until much later. Really, I think I yeah. it had such a visceral impact on me watching them on the TV. But um, uh, and I loved. I love the idea of them and I love the the kind of the attitude and the fact that, you know, they were boys from South Wales like me. You know, I come, oh, my God, there are these guys doing this on the TV and they come from Blackwood, which is not far from me. That's
0: what I was going to say. I mean, the the kind of uh, the the, the weird structure of our podcast is that I overanalyze everything, uh, given the chance. And there's actually a lot of parallels between the Mannix career and your own uh chief amongst which is that you, are, you you're kind of a similar age i mean you're the same age as james dean bradfield i think hmm. but, but yeah. i'm appreciate you're you are a hollywood actor and i don't want to give away your age on no <laughs> <laughs> podcast no it's true that is correct yeah. you're six five aren't you yes that's right i'm <laughs> yeah, <they're> six five <laughs> and 24 yeah. Yeah. yes correct um did, did you feel like i mean you touched on it there but did you feel a certain amount of kind of of kinship having grown up in the similar sort of area having having gone through the period of the miners strikes Hmm. and being from a similar place as the manix is that is was that an important part of forming a relationship with them do you think
1: i think yeah definitely i think so i mean i've yes i've i've sort of thought about it a little bit that you know part of what certainly I, I am drawn to in them and that I that excites me about them and that and I think part of what has made them so successful on their own terms um is is I think is in some ways uh, there are shared qualities in that I think if you cut so talking about my, myself and the actors who have come from that area so you know Bert, Richard Burton, and Anthony Hopkins yeah. both came from Patalbot and and because I've had to talk about that a lot, I can see where it kind of touches on maybe some things with with the Mannix as well. In that you don't expect actors to come from Port Albert. That's you know I mean they're sort of synonymous right. with Port Albert now because of Burton and Hopkins. But you would not go here is a place where is going to produce actors,
0: right? Um, and you don't expect a Brit Award-winning band to come from Blackwood.
1: Yes, or yeah. even more specifically, <laughs> you don't expect a band where one of the members or two of the members are walking around in makeup and dresses yeah and
2: <laughs> yeah you, do you know what yeah. i mean so
1: so it, it's like that so that coming from a kind of you know a really rough i mean you know newport is what it was seen as one of the most violent places in europe for a while um oh and God. you know and Talbot is no easy place to to grow up in as well i mean there's it's a you know it's working class patalba is a steel town blackwood newport you know it's all mining areas heavy industry industrialized it's 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 rough. Um, and if you, so if you come from there and you do something like acting or go into, let's call it pop rock music, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those qualities are going to come through. They're going to be there somewhere. And if you sort of um, aspire towards something that isn't just dark, glowering, do you know what I mean? Like if you're, if in the case of the Manics, if you're, you know, loving the New York dolls and and you know, you want to sparkle and, and wear leopard print. Yeah, and yeah. and that kind of you know, you know, I hate the phrase, but that sort of cock rock stuff, that kind of you know, big <laughs> hair, Sunset Strip, you know, snorting coke off you know strippers' asses, all that, you know, if that that kind of we've all um, been there. We've that
2: been there. kind yeah. of
1: thing, that kind of brand. Me. yeah. If you're like, if you're enjoying that idea. And that combined with the place you come from and the qualities you come from and the fact that they, I mean, I think they they got together in 85, uh, Mm -hmm. which was, I mean, 84, 85 was the minus strike. They were born out of this tumultuous period um, of of not only, you know, highly politicized tensions, but outright violence going on in the streets where they lived. And, you know, similar for me. Um, And so that kind of, political awareness coupled with a kind of, I mean, the arrogance of them. the com- I mean, they were, they were <laughs> myth makers. They were myth making as they were going along, but Richard Burton was the same thing. Richard Burton, Dylan Thomas, these sort of Welsh icons, they made mm. myths about themselves. They were knowingly doing that as they were going along. And that was part of what gave them their, their sort of uh, their charisma and their, and their kind of um, star quality in lots of ways that they are making those myths. And they went out to go you know i mean anyone who writes i laughed when lennon was shot in, know. you know on their first date, <laughs> office, you know says the know so stuff much. that they were saying they know they knew what they were doing you know yeah. and um yeah uh, and there's th- that kind of confidence and i i i recognize a bit of that in myself as well in that coming from the place i came from you would in some way if someone was writing that story of me coming from Patalbert, the lads coming from Blackwood, you would write the story of, you know, the working class guys who come up and are a bit nervous about, you know, and being locked out and kept out of the club and they have to fight through. And I think all of us, me and them, were like, I mean, it didn't even occur to me. You just go, right, I'm just... I'm just doing this, and I'm mm. just going to be better than the rest of you, and you are just going to have to deal with that, you know. So the at the spirit of "you love us," yeah was, yeah, was absolutely the thing that kind of drew me to them. I was like, absolutely. You don't go out there apologizing or being grateful for the place that you're being given in the club. You go out there and you and you piss everyone off, and then you go, "You fucking love us." That's the kind of that's the kind of attitude. Of, I recognise that coming from the South Wales valleys, you know. Um, and, and so I can see some crossover there of, of, of just, you know, being out there now, what I, where, where I did sort of, I remember feeling kind of guilty about the idea that, um, they stayed in Wales, that, you know, they didn't, they didn't go off, you know, they, they were, that was one of the things about them that, that marked them out. Was that? Oh, yeah. They didn't care about America. They didn't care about you know. They still live in Wales. They didn't even go to fucking London, apart from doing you know all that kind of stuff. So, and that always kind of made me go, yeah. And I did. I went away. I didn't. I, I've always had a kind of a guilt about you know people becoming successful by leaving Wales and not and 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 kind of you know just pulling up the drawbridge kind of thing. Um, do you think it's Do you think it's important to keep that
0: kind of connection to to the place that you came from?
1: It is to me, um, and it has, and I've, and I've, you know, I live back here now. I've moved back, and I live yeah. in Patalburg again. Um, and uh, it's funny, I saw, what did I, I saw a, a quote the other? Oh, the science fiction, uh, the great writer Ursula K. Le Guin, said. Uh, I was watching a documentary about her the other day, and uh, she said, "True journey is return." And I thought that's Ooh. interesting. I'd, I'd never heard that before, and I, I thought that's really interesting because I sort of found that I'm. I'm going through that now. I'm experiencing that. Um uh, and I, I so it has been very important to me. Uh and I think it's certainly important to them. Um I suppose that comes that, that sort of comes
0: from that um uh that Joseph Campbell sort of uh, hero's journey kind of thing where you start in yeah. a place and then mm. go through these trials and tribulations and return having changed.
1: Yeah. Well and there's also there's also the thing that like Nikki said about when after um gold against the soul and uh for the next album the like company i think said you know or oh, we'll take you to barbados you can record it there and he was like no fuck that no. we don't. No, we have gone we're going the wrong way here we yeah. need to just go back to basics and you know record it in cardiff or wherever they record it the know, red light strip district ev- of cardiff yeah, strip please. everything away yeah. and i think that connects that sense of no this is who we are this is what matters this is our like base uh this is our baseline this is what grounds us and reminds us of what is important to us and i think that is that if you don't have that i mean some people you know come from i suppose homes that were never that for them in the first place and they have to find their home that's that's yeah. their journey you know but um but for me and i th- i think for the for the for the boys as well um this that where we come from is somewhere that uh, we are bound to uh, and and gladly so I mean there's there's conflicts there's all I mean you look look at their music look, look at Nicky's lyrics I mean look at like in Richie's lyrics you know and um, yeah. clearly there are conflicts there and there's all kinds of ambivalences but ultimately I think I think we both have a sense of this is who we are
4: well, I'm going to put you on the spot Adam now um, what's that oh. lovely Welsh word that we learned about coming home in that it's he uh, is that right? Is that... Thank and you it's... for
0: asking me and not Michael, the Welshman <laughs> well, in the room. <laughs> well,
4: because I wanted to see how
3: badly you'd pronounce it. <laughs> and how, and how uh, I remembered our previous episodes as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, so hiraith is uh, quite a sort of um, contentious concept, I suppose, okay. in that, um, interestingly, it kind of the... the the, the different attitudes towards it or the different versions of it of how people mm. interpret it, in some ways describes the Welsh experience. So on the one hand you've got quite a sort of sentimental version of it, oh Hirwaith, it's a longing for home, you know, yeah. it's mm. oh yeah. my beautiful Wales, oh the valleys, oh the green green grass of home, oh is that, yeah. Um, but the other version of it is that it's a lot, it's a it's a lot, it's a sort of pain, a pain that is for something that you um that is forever delayed there you go the Mannix wow, said lovely. it perfectly um yeah. that you can that no is, longer well that, grasp that, that possibly never existed that oh, it's, okay. it's a longing for something a longing for home that actually never was there or it it's more in that like so it's got a harder edge Ooh. to it it's something like it's i mean the, the the sort of um there's a way of looking at welsh history as you know wales is the country that is still to still to be born that it's that it's the nation that was never allowed to flourish that it that it had that it's haunted by the by the the possible futures that never happened and Hereith can also speak about to that in a way as well so there's an anger there's a harder edge to that version of Hereith than the sort of um, oh the choirs and the sheep (laughs)
0: and the rugby you know do you feel a responsibility to sort of represent Wales
1: in the work that you do um. Uh, oh, that, well, that's a difficult—not a responsibility, a desire, a desire mm. to—and not to represent because I don't know what Wales is. I mean, a desire to explore and discover what Wales is. I mean, there are many Wales, many versions of Wales, really. And you know, this—the this sort of the Wales that the Mannix and I come from—is very, very different. So let's say North Wales or the there's there's the South Wales, the industrial south that grew up during the Industrial Revolution around the coal fields, you know, communities that got built up in really difficult places. The only reason communities grew there was because they were the workforce for the mines and 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 the ironworks and that kind of thing. So you've got these like it's like the Wild West. They were they (laughs) were just rough, wild places that these communities grew up in. And then, of course, with the decline of heavy industry, those communities were so Um, identified with that place Um, even though the heavy heavy industry went they weren't going to leave so you had these communities who were bound together and had lost the very thing that created their existence in the first place and out of that sense of loss and anger and frustration and the politicization of that you get a band like the Manic Street Preachers that's where they're coming out of that's that's they they can only exist because of that. Now, that experience is closer to the mining communities in the northeast of England or right, you know, yeah. places in Cornwall or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, it's you know, it's very different to the experience of North Wales or the rural West Wales. It's very, very different. So, you know, you've got very different versions of Wales. Then you've got the Welsh language uh, tradition within Wales as well, which is very different to that more South Walian almost anglicised in lots of ways, version of Wales as well. Yeah, and that has a very different kind of politi- political leaning. Um, and it's one that the Mannix have dipped into now and again. I mean, the song... Uh, uh the song about uh uh Capel Kellen, about trearin about the um the village ready for drowning was, yeah. yeah ready for drowning that, that was uh that was drowned literally drowned in nineteen sixty five in order to create a reservoir for Liverpool to create yeah. water there um you know you <clears throat> you can see that they go into those sort of overtly welsh uh historic um yeah. traumatic events um now and again <clears throat> but that is a that is a different connected but a a different tradition within Wales to you know a lot of what was going on in in the South Walian bit so I my my I have I have as I've got older I've recognized more and more how formed I am by where I come from and and I am more and more fascinated by us as a country and our history and why we are where we are and and, and where are we (laughs) that's the first question for a country for a nation a country that doesn't have really its own media you know doesn't have its own mirror to look at itself in um it it, one of the dangers is that you you don't know where you are you don't recognize where you are um and to have a band like the Mannix out there they do provide uh, a, a version of what Wales is what Wales can be who Wales has been in the past that allows you to kind of see yourself or see possible versions of yourself and that was definitely what the Mannix were for me
0: it's very interesting like actually listening to you talk about that idea of um of of the almost inevitable return uh the the point at which the Mannix became most successful is when they started being more consciously Welsh and Mm. you know singing about things like um like uh the the village in ready for drowning and the uh the welsh silent twins um mm. on on tsunami and things like that mm. um because before that they had kind of they had been a bit more kind of well we're not just welsh that doesn't define us yeah yeah you know and i think they've always had that that urge to of mass communication of of, yeah. kind of wanting wanting to be not maybe not global. I don't know because, that, like Michael said, like don't think they care about America. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or America well, doesn't they ca- care about they them. They certainly
1: <laughs> cared about America in so much as you know, you know. You think about Iggy and the Stooges and the New York Dolls and you know those right like yeah, that, that sound point. that Guns and Roses, you know, all of that stuff. They were, you know, really excited by that. That was what excited them. But in terms of, I I don't know because I've never really talk to them about this, but in terms, you know, did they ever really desperately want to like, you know, Break America and you know get in there and do that. I, 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 there must be a part of them that wanted to do that because you know I, mean, I think everybody be, wants but, to be the most successful version of whatever yeah. it is they can be. But right? certainly, you know, Generation Terrorist is an album that is just bursting with desire to be all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And and Welsh <laughs> was not the at the forefront of it. Yes, not that exactly. they were trying to get away from being Welsh, but the, in the same way as when I went to when I left Wales and went to London to go to drama school, I, I, it took me a while to realise I was Welsh because I just came from that. I mean I, I had nothing to compare it to. I just was Welsh. So I didn't I didn't wear that on my sleeve, you know. I, I, I just went and you know and, and eventually I it sort of caught up with me that I was Welsh, but that didn't didn't really cross my mind very much when I got there. I when I got to London, I I and went into drama school, I was like I'm I'm and I want to be the best actor in the world. I, you know, and 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 my influences and the things that excited me and that resonated with me came from everywhere. I didn't didn't think about myself in the context of being Welsh. And I I feel like that that Generation Terrorist album, if anything, is kind of going. We're here, we're, we're we're on the world stage. I mean, they they said you didn't they? We were going to sell more records than anyone else, and then we were going to break up after that yeah, album. Yeah. Uh, that kind of attitude is. You know, that's 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 not about going. Uh, we really want to represent Welsh, Wales on the world stage. That's not what they're doing. They're just exploding <laughs> with a kind of a, a, a just a freedom and a and a and, a, and an ar- a confidence and an arrogance and an awareness of what they had at that moment. Although
0: know? later, day Nicky would then tell you that that is a very, to his mind, sort of a very Welsh thing to do. He always right, talks yeah, about yeah. the self destructiveness. Of mm. um of famous Welsh figures, obviously like Richard Burton and Dylan mm. Thomas, both had issues with with drink, and and he's talked often about that self destructiveness. So actually, the idea of like we're going to release one huge album and then explode, yeah, is is does not actually maybe touch on that even before he realised it. I'm always fascinated by this mm. idea of like how much your home influences the things you do and whether or not you can ever sort of escape it. One of the things about the yeah. Max that I think that they definitely inherited from their um. From their kind of bringing up in, like, like you said, like an, an industrial sort of area, you know, where there was heavy industry and those jobs were, were hard, is, is their work ethic. And mm. from, from looking at things like, you know, your, your filmography and things like that, you seem to have that kind of same mindset where you are always working. Like, if you're not filming yeah. something, you're on stage or you're doing an audiobook, The coronavirus didn't slow you down because suddenly you had, like, a new BBC show that you did with yeah. David Tennant. Like, yeah. is that just something that's ingrained in you or is that something that you've had to sort of work on over time?
1: I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think it is, on the one hand, uh, a, a just a kind of a, a love of what you do. Like, I think, like, you know, you watch James playing guitar and you know singing whether it's like an acoustic guitar what like you that's a man who was meant to do that you know yeah. it's just it's not his job it's not his hobby it's not the thing he like it's it's who he is he's a lot of things but it's there's a there's a natural thing there and i always felt like that about acting that i would i i always used to say i would do this even if I wasn't being paid, I would do it on the streets of Patel, but I used to say, and then in two thousand eleven, I did <laughs> do it on the streets of Talbot, yeah. which always sort of made me laugh. But but that kind of confidence that comes from going, I don't give a fuck if someone pays me to do this. I'm doing it. I, no, I'm not waiting for someone on the other end of the phone to say, "Oh, you can do that thing you love now." You know, like I, yeah. I never, I never had any time for that. Now, again, that's a, there's a sort of an arrogance about that, which mm. I think people. <laughs> Rubbed, which rubbed people up the wrong way when I was much younger and starting off, but that was always a thing that I had, which was i i'm not I'm not in this for other people to tell me when that I can act or not I, this is I'm doing this you can get on the bus or you can fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I, you know i'm not I'm not waiting around for you to tell me that I can do it yeah. and there there is a confidence that you get from having from really believing that that translates into people giving you work. I mean, you know, people kind of, that connects with people and they're like, oh, that's it. So I didn't have to go around saying that. I, that just was in me in the same way as I think the Mannix had a bit of, you know, had that as well, obviously, at that you love us yeah. kind of thing. Um, and But but it's coupled with, and I, 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 I do agree, the work ethic thing, which is um, coming from where we come from, there is a part of you that will always feel guilty that you don't have a proper job. but then I guess you also can't
3: help but wonder you know you say like you just have to go well fuck you I'm just doing it and whether you pay me or not I'm going to do it if you didn't have that attitude would it actually just be that you sort of don't make enough make enough of a you know get enough attention that you even would get the jobs after you know would the would the Mannix have even gotten anywhere if it weren't for the Glamour Twins like if they were playing it yeah. safer if they hadn't been more uh, as like fuck you we're just going to do it and yeah. just try well, to like yeah. be like oh can you give us
1: some give us some label record please label yeah record. i mean it's that is what they yeah could you give us a label, <laughs> label record, record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have got far if they had been calling it that excuse me sir give a label
4: record Lucas that's why you're not signed <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: fuck <All> <laughs> that, i mean in the in the in the acting profession you know i remember at drama school there were people who were b- b- brilliant actors like really brilliant actors but that's not enough. Mm. They were a bit too nice. Well, it's not even that necessary. I mean, it just wasn't enough and you have to have something else as well. And mm. the Manics have, you know, they're brilliant musicians and they've become better and better musicians as time has gone on and you know, they have all kinds of qualities. But if they but their attitude uh, certainly early on that that attitude was a big part of what got them somewhere. You know, they they like I say they knew what they were doing by getting music journalists to oh, kind of write stuff, you know, about about the things they were saying and the people they were pissing off. And, you know, they were iconoclasts. They they knew exactly what they were doing. Richie cutting open his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that was well that then, was another red flag. Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. when and that's the other area of the Mannix, I think, that is a big part of this journey they've been on, is that kind of um all surface, no feeling, then let's say, kind of obsession yeah. started to become uh it became clear that that wasn't what was going on or wasn't all that was going on and there was something much darker and much more dangerous and much more frightening going on as well that then obviously holy bible is a testament to that kind of that dark ecstasy of that album is you know going back and listening to it again i haven't listened to it for quite a while and listening to it again this week it's uh, it's, it's just really upsetting yeah and yeah, and at is. the same time euphoric there yeah. is that you know having having found out a bit about people who are going through anorexia and that kind of stuff and or or any kind of um any kind of obsession that will kill you ultimately yeah there is and i think you know in um is it in found that soul there's there's a sense of that that through the pain and the darkness and the awfulness and the ugliness you find something that's kind of sharp and and bright and and kind of pure and and that is what's so dangerous about it because i think you know the Ho- holy bible is sort of like that the album and the experience that it's documenting is, it is someone who is finding yeah, yeah someone who's finding a sort of an ecstatic experience yeah. in ugliness and awfulness and horror. Um, And that album is... is you know, there's not much like that out there, really.
4: In Adam's research for the Holy Bible, when when he was making his notes for it and everything, you went through a very dark period, didn't you? Had him actually, like, reading mm. up about serial killers every night, and he just came to mm. us one day and was like, I'm not doing too well, lads. And I said, <laughs> yeah. is it because you've been researching the most awful things? <laughs> <laughs> you um, came, yeah. We
3: came, we did the recording, and then when we were done, it was sort of like, oh, finally, I can be just done with it. I can yeah. just add in the rest.
0: But then I listened to it on the train on the way home.
2: Yeah, why did, did you? Because, <laughs> be,
0: because it, like... It, you're absolutely right, Michael. There is something at the center of that album that, like, every time you listen to it, you you discover a new layer to it. There there is a new bright and shiny discovery hmm. because because it's such a dense album, and you can never like. I did so much research for. Uh, we did two episodes on the Holy Bible just because of how cram packed of stuff that album is, and. Hmm. Honestly, Steve and Lucas, you'll be gutted to hear we didn't even really scratch the surface. No, oh, saying. let's
3: do a load more episodes on the Holy Bible then.
0: Well, <laughs> Lucas, you did not like the Holy Bible. Is well, the... yeah,
1: one of yeah. my one of my favourite songs um, that that is not on Holy Bible, but uh, you know that the, Richie wrote the lyrics for is is small black flowers that, that grow in the sky, oh, and you know the last song. the last line of that is here chewing your tail is joy and i think that that is that that the joy that doing something painful gives you a a kind of joy Mm. is at the heart of the experience of holy bible and i think you know the heart of uh, from the outside i never met richie i know nothing about richie but um I, i i i find it difficult not to imagine that in that in that experience of a man who who carves four real into his arm and mm. knows what he's doing and knows that people are going to write about that, yeah. but also can't help himself because he is cutting himself, he is doing that stuff, and you know, and eventually does what he does. There, 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 is, there is there is that sense of of the of the, the the beautiful shiny thing in amongst all the pain and the horror and the, and and that you can't stop going there and you can't stop. Digging for it, and ultimately, when you grasp it, it's over.
0: It's well, done. that's the and thing is no is, back. is every time you find a little bit of it, the next time you have to go further to find another yeah. little bit of it. Mm. Um, which is uh, it's a re- yeah, it's a really sad uh, notion and thought, actually. Mm. And and um,
1: of course, the, and the next chapter, and maybe all the chapters since that of the Manic's journey is inevitably in reaction to that you know there is a very different note to what they do after that and and uh you know i I often think it sort of weirdly reminds me of um of bobby kennedy Uh, (laughs) (laughs) in that so bobby kennedy was was a very different person after the death of his brother than he was beforehand he was Jack Kennedy's attorney general, he was known for being like a motherfucker. Like people really hated him and not for good reasons. Like he was mean and he was hard and he was cold and he was all that. This is the impression that I got for it. And then his brother is killed, murdered in this horrendous way. And Bobby Kennedy goes away and and finds his way back into his own life through. He apparently went away and like read the classics, like read the classic greeks the plays the philosophers like he found a consolation in something that you know most of us find very sort of esoteric and difficult to grasp and stuff but he like he fought his way back through that and um and then came back into public life and was very different and became a man who publicly identified with those who were suffering and going through really difficult times and the marginalized and 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 started to become this this uh, real possible hero figure for America at a time that was, you know, moving into, you know, moving out of the Vietnam War or still in the Vietnam War. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And then he himself was killed. But but that idea of being changed by tragedy, by losing someone very close to you in really tragic and, and really horrendous circumstances and that sort of change in your trajectory, I can't help but sort of see that going on in, in the work of the Mannix as well, and that becomes then part of their story, and it becomes part of who they are, and, and inevitably that becomes part of what you read into their work and everything they do. Or certainly I do. You can't help but you know hear songs like, I mean, I mean even a song like Daughter the River" on "Forever Delayed," which you know, I, I mean I love that song, and it gets yeah, you no know, real beautiful. attention, but and you can't help but go just hearing the words Daughter to the River." In, in, inevitably makes me think of Richie. I think that I think those words made Steve cry. Actually, didn't they, Steve? Uh,
3: yeah, I I I cried quite a bit, Lucas. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the
4: past, and I'll weep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But and there is an emotional quality to their work. I mean, I, 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 there's not many songs pre, you know, I guess pre everything. I don't I don't know. I, progressively I get moved to tears by their songs more and more to the, you know, and then th- there yeah. are songs then that just, they're just like slabs of emotion and in a very different way to the early stuff. I mean, that's emotion as well. It's a different kind of emotion, but there's a, there's a sadness and a kind of grief and a confusion and, and, and the anger that is in songs after Richie goes is a different kind of anger to the anger that was there before. It is. It's um, a
0: melancholic kind of anger rather than an, yeah, uh, a, a yeah. rebellious kind of, kind of anger. Yeah. And yet the music
3: and completely goes the opposite way and becomes less melancholic and goes really, like,
1: anthemic and big and stadium-y. But that's what's so interesting, though. Mm. Well, th- I mean, Australia. So you've got a song that the like, Australian tourist board use yeah. <laughs> in their commercials. <laughs> but it's a song about Nicky going, I- I'm I'm in such pain and i'm so sad and i'm grieving so much for my friend who's disappeared that i want to be as far away from here as i can possibly be yeah. and so but it's also a song. it's got a
0: ripping guitar solo oh, yeah. oh, it really yeah. slaps doesn't it <laughs> it's an yeah. extraordinary song but that
1: juxtaposition of yeah. incredibly you know uplifting liberating that burst of energy that kind of release of sound but with these lyrics they're actually about something really sad and difficult and dark that mm. that creates a kind of a tension in their work you know after Richie's gone that is uh, that that really marks out that that part of the journey for the Mannix for me
0: that's one of my favorite things about the Mannix, is that juxtaposition and their willingness to sort of um uh, uh it it's confuse is the wrong word maybe you use the word um infiltrate in the, way, in the way that they've got these
4: big anthemic tracks playing on Radio 1, but really they're talking about mm. the Spanish Civil War, and that's what right. I love about the <laughs> Manics.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
1: Well, that was the thing about Faster, you know, going back to the yeah. first time I saw on the Top of the Pops, there, there's these, you know, young girls in their summer dresses dancing, and James is singing about, I spit out Plath and Pinter. I'm <laughs> like, who are these people? <laughs> what are you... What... You know, I I couldn't believe that I was hearing that, and that they were from down the road. Yeah. It was like, you know, yeah, extraordinary. I mean, another song that I, again I listened to recently that I haven't listened to for ages that really hit me was um, uh, "Nobody Loved You," which is yeah. this. I mean, beautiful song, beautiful song, and and clearly, you know, I, again, I haven't spoken to Nicky about this, but it's clearly about Nicky and Richie and and it it's is just, and, uh, yeah. oh it get really gets gets you
0: they right. actually took it off the album when they uh, when they reissued it which i thought was very interesting really? it was maybe a little bit too raw and i think looking hmm. back on it nicky maybe regrets how raw that song was so yeah they actually took wow. it off the album they replaced it with uh, prologue to history and i've just said something
1: very boring um <laughs> when you were making it. No such that's an interesting. interesting point that's really that is really interesting <laughs> because i wonder because because people you know if you didn't know the song you'd think it was uh, i suppose nicky saying nobody loved richie but actually it's nobody loved you like me is what he's saying yeah right? exactly and i wonder if he felt bad because of richie's family or you know like i think that's of, exactly it th- there yeah. was some sort of assumed guilt about other people except for nicky i, d- I don't know but i wonder if that's what it but that's it's a sad, it's sad because that song is God, it's absolutely brilliant. I love that song. It's of the of going back and listening to stuff. That is the one that I sort of rediscovered in a way that hit me the most. I think
0: mm. I, I rediscover something uh, something new every time I go back and go through sort of the discography. That's why doing this podcast has been like such a joy. Just sort of like the breadth of their work and and their kind of they seem to do like an almost sort of. um one for me, one for you kind hmm. of thing. Well, they'll do a Send Away the Tigers and they'll do a Postcards from a Young Man to kind of go into their later career that are these hmm. big sort of mass communication records. And then they'll do a Journal for Plague Lovers and they'll like do a Holy Bible.
1: Um, yeah. Well, there's there's another element, I suppose, to them, which is, you know, and people, I, I know that they've they've sort of had to deal with journalists and and fans and, you know, just people in the... Business kind of every now and again, kind of oh they've lost, they, they've sold out now and they've they've yeah. you know they're not what they were doing before. I'm not because they're just trying to be a big band and and I know Nick you know I, I know that the band themselves have kind of gone no we want to be a big band in Britain we will and there is you can look at that as as oh is that the you know are those are those the values that the Manics supposedly espouse, but. On the other hand, I want a band who are singing about spitting out Plath and Pinter, and you know, and and doing stuff about Capel Kellen and you know, and all that, all the stuff that they're doing. I want them to be a big band, because yeah. you know, it's one thing to have a band who are doing that kind of stuff and only twenty people are listening to them in a church hall, but if they're <laughs> being played on Radio One, Radio Two, on top of the pops, and they're dealing with these kinds of subjects, that's amazing. I want them to be as big as possible. So that kind of dance that they've done. And, and, and writing anthemic songs that, you know, that maybe afterwards people will go, will find out a bit more about, you know, Kevin Carter or whoever it is. You know, for, for every... Uh, design for Life that people, you know, think is actually about just getting pissed and I don't give a shit, you know, for every misinterpretation <laughs> of their yeah. big songs. There are also people who have had their eyes opened and their hearts opened and have expanded their, their their sense of what is in the world. And I include myself by the Mannix stuff, by what they're doing. And because of the way they write their songs and, and what it makes you feel, coupled with what it makes you think about, uh, that's what they've done. They certainly did it for me.
0: I mean, I'd, I, th- there is also, like, you know, back to my over-analytical brain, there's also a comparison there to be drawn with you. Did you ever get sort of the accusation that you had sort of sold out? Because you kind of do the, a similar thing to The Mannix, where they'll do a very interesting and, and weird little album, like The Holy Bible or Journal for Plague Lovers, or Rewind the Film, even. And you've kind of done films like Damned United and Gospel of Us and uh what was the one with 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 ben stiller recently brad status. oh yeah yeah Brad status, yeah. Yeah. um but also twilight underworld hmm. tron so like th- is that a conscious decision to kind of do that one for me one for you kind of thing or is that no it's literally just a response to material
1: it's a response to material and it's uh it's a a, a reflection of those are my glam rock films. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, listen, I love putting a bit of eyeliner on. and yeah, oh I'm yeah, definitely. That. I mean, black <laughs> extensions and you know, or putting a bit of leather on and being a werewolf. I mean, I love that stuff. That, and that is sort of the equivalent of that that kind of New York dolls, the glam rock stuff of, of yeah. the Manics as well. Like that, it's that's a part of it. It's not, you know, you can't separate it out. I mean, you can look at the Manics and and say. Oh well, you know, look at you can see all their influences. You can name the bands that there are bits of in their mm. stuff. But ultimately it's the fact that they they have a sensibility that is drawn to all those. And and like I say, the whole rush versus the clash, you yeah. know, or rush versus the skids, or whatever you wanna, you know, however you wanna define it. The fact that they hold all they they they, they, they themselves appreciate and and are excited and inspired by those things. Makes them who they are. It's not. It's not like a one for them, one for you. In that respect, and the same for me. I, I, you know, what drew me to playing Brian Clough in *The Damned United*, or David Frost in *Frost/Nixon*, or you know, whatever it might be, is essentially exactly the same thing that drew me to playing a vampire in *Twilight*, or you know, a uh, a program who thinks he's David Bowie in, in *Tron Legacy*. <laughs> it's like it's all part of it. You know, um, I, it just excites me. It's what gets my juices going um and i suspect it's the same with them
3: it's a weird idea the idea that people think like selling out is a thing and is something mm. to be like maligned like shocker band want to play to lots of people yeah shocker yeah, actor yeah, wants a... to be in films and mm. and are popular and are seen by lots of people yeah, yeah. why is that well, ever considered they... a bad yeah. thing yeah
1: and when i when i did do the twilight films and i remember doing you know interviews for it, press for it and I just remember really being struck by how fucking snobbish people were. Really? Mm. These 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 interview these journalists who would come and you know and and, <laughs> and interview not ju- not just not when it was so much me on my own. Although in every interview that I did on my own, there would always be the moment where there was like there would be a little sort of a smile and like, you know come on why what, what are, are you really doing, doing in this? Guy? <laughs> <laughs> but often we as a cast would do interviews ourselves, and the fucking audacity of some people who would sit there be so condescending to these to the you know this group of people and i would and i used to take quite a lot of enjoyment in just going for them yes. on be on behalf of this group of people um and sort of talking about you know some of the greatest writing that's happened in the last hundred years has been in what would be called genre you know, yeah stuff yeah. like science fiction you know yeah. i'm a big fan of philip k dick and and ursula Le Guin, and you know people who are just doing extraordinary things and in comic books like grant morrison and alan moore and you know and the fact that people are so snobbish when actually they're just ignorant they just don't understand what it is they don't get it and they show how superficial their enjoyment of the things that they would hold up as being worthwhile is if you can't actually see what's worthwhile in in anything outside your own little bubble then you know you're the one who's superficial and 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 so to be patronizing to other people about it and and that's what i discovered during that period of time you know. it's like exactly, i have this
4: man. i have this issue with the phrase guilty pleasure like, because mm. if you enjoy it, then well, I love ABBA. Yeah. I don't give a shit if anyone knows that. Oh, Fucking like, ABBA yeah. have got some hot <laughs> yeah. matches. But like, bad some, example, ABBA. ABBA slap. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, you say it to someone, they go, "Oh, yeah," but why? And are you doing that just because it sounds cool? Isn't it? Like, no, because I just mm. want to dance to Dancing Queen at a wedding. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But like, yeah, the, yeah the, if you if you like something, why should, it be, why should you feel guilty about it? It's that same yeah. kind of sentiment, really, isn't it? The idea yeah. that
3: the idea that popularity it immediately makes something lesser or less of like valid is nonsense yeah. like i really yeah, I, mean- in- I really enjoyed frost nixon but also, I just really want Tron 3. And I want, and I want yeah. your character to, to return from the dead, spoilers, yeah. And, yeah. and be the main antagonist. And yeah, I'll just watch yeah. that
1: for three straight hours. Just give I, that to me. Thank you very much. And if you can I make that happen. In, please I could not do get it. into that outfit anymore. Oh. I, that was, there were no zips on that outfit They can do you a lot to of things with CGI these days, though, oh. Michael. They oh. can, you well, know. Yeah. They did a if lot you can make that happen, that that'd be a real good favour for me. Just Tron 3. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you put in a word. Oh, no, it's you put so in a cute. word. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I mean, the, the, with the Manics as well. There's like I, you, you asked me to, you know, do my top ten, and that. Oh and yes, was, and it was, which spoilers. Was, we'll was, do
0: that. We'll do that a little bit later. Which
1: was really hmm. difficult. I mean, it was really. Hard. Oh yeah, it's tough. And but ultimately, with with some of the choices, I just sort of went for the songs that I still find myself singing in my head most of the time. Mm. You know, so. Um, and and it's difficult, in it? Because there are, in terms of when you talk about you know popularity, there are some songs on Everything Must Go that I have heard so much, and that every you know, and this is the thing with Design for Life, I suppose, you've just heard it so much that it starts to it starts to well, it stops being a song anymore. It's like the Beatles when <laughs> I, as I, growing really? up, the Beatles were like <laughs> hymns. You know, song yeah. yesterday and you know all the, the the yeah. Like I didn't think of them as songs. They were they weren't they weren't a band that you could enjoy. They're just part yeah. of yeah. the they fabric like, of reality. Yeah, yes. they just they yeah. just are. And yeah. you, have have of, you have to sort of you have to rediscover the Beatles, <laughs> don't you? Really, like I you know I then heard the White Album was like oh oh they're a band. Yeah. Oh, they actually like you know, and then I you know and, and that opened it up for me. But um and it's a little bit the same with that everything must go period and you know and some of um uh this is my Truth, tell me yours which is why i suppose there are there are there are a lot of songs on both those albums that get no attention at all <laughs> yeah. you know there's the standout songs from both those albums and rightly so but then there's these you know these other songs like for instance like um uh you know nobody loved you there's that that yeah, sort it's of definitely s- a that, hidden gem yeah yeah and so that was sort of refreshing in a way to be able to go to an album that i thought I knew so well, and that I'd heard so often, mm. um, and then to kind of rediscover songs that I was like, "Oh yeah, I only ever listened to this once," or something. You know, yeah. like it's, it was. I felt bad about that, but it was it was it was refreshing to do that.
0: Was it a bit weird, like in the same way that this interview is a bit weird? Was it a bit <laughs> weird to like um, be a fan of someone that you then? Meet through like in a professional capacity, yeah. sort of like then. Well, I didn't meet them, them in a professional
1: capacity. I was walking down Chiswick High Road one day, sure. And yeah. In fact, it not one day, it was on St. David's Day, and I was with my daughter who was, I think, she must have been about like three at the time, four or something. And I'm walking down the road, and I suddenly hear, Oi, Sheenie. <laughs> <laughs> and I turn around and it's James Dean Bradfield. A bona fide rock star is that shouting sounds... Oi Shiny at me. <laughs> and I walk down Chiswick High Road. I'd, and we I, 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 I was thinking, I mean I obviously I was like, oh my god, this is James Dean Bradfield. Yeah. Um but I was like racking my brain. Have we have we met before? Have I did I black out and we met before? So anyway, we had this lovely conversation and that was it. We were friends then from from then on. Mm. And it was weird. It was weird. But um but but we we just sort of I don't know there's something we just sort of clicked really mm. I mean I know James better than I know the other two boys the other two guys but um, it, it's, it just I don't know it it didn't feel weird really it felt like
2: sort of yeah. right okay.
0: so so does that mean that we're friends now <laughs> no no okay. No, it, <laughs> okay.
2: No, it doesn't. Okay. no okay that's absolutely <laughs> fair enough <No. laughs>
0: I'm gonna do them in reverse order because. Uh, um, I want to, and I'm, I'm interviewing you. Um, So (laughs) um, you worked with them in uh, this absolutely mad play that you directed. Um, It was the passion play and you did it in Port Talbot. Mm. What, what on earth possessed you (laughs) to do this? I watched the documentary when it, when it was on BBC uh, and I watched it again recently and I've never seen a man look more stressed in in his life. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So it started because the National Theatre Wales came into existence for years and years and years. There's been, you know, there have been arguments about Wales should have its own national theatre. And and then other people go, well, wh- what would it be? Would it be Welsh language? Would it be English language? Where would it Would it be in Cardiff? Would it be in North? There were so many arguments about it. It never happened. And then suddenly it was happening. Uh, mainly because a Scottish (laughs) man made it happen. Um, (laughs) Right. But uh, uh, so the National Theatre Wales was coming into existence and I was approached uh, and asked if I wanted to do something in its first season, in its inaugural season. And I, with the, um, you know, with my generation terrorist attitude, was like, (laughs) oh, they'll want me to play Hamlet in Cardiff and I really can't be bothered. Um, (laughs) And... um, and i turned up uh, to talk to uh, a woman called lucy davis who was the person who was sort of helping put it together the dramaturg uh, um and uh, and she said um actually we're looking to do something that's work that is much more tied to the community that it's coming out of mm. and that is not necessarily uh, in a theater we're looking to to explore alternative ways of 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 relationships between the audience and the yeah. and the perform performers and and, the and we'd love thing.
0: it and we'd love it if it was three days long.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> that was all she sort of said, and I found myself sitting there and and my mouth was saying words and my brain was going, no, don't don't say that. <laughs> no, don't. What are you talking about? I found myself saying, well, I used to watch this. There was a passion play that was done in Margam Park, which is a park near where I grew in Potoba where I grew up. Um and they would do a passion play every couple of years and it was like and they weren't professional actors, like my my teacher from school would play Judas one year and then he would play Jesus the next year. And there'd be like old people and their grandkids dressed up in tea towels and walking out of the forest. And it was outdoors and it but, you know, when they got when the crucifixion happened, like I used to walk out feeling really weird and and it had a profound effect and all this kind of stuff and I thought and I was saying, you know I could do something like that, but I'm not religious, so I'm not interested in doing that story, but everyone knows that story so we could use that story and do a modern version of it and anyway, I was saying all this stuff and I and I went away and went home in my head going, but I'm not actually going to do that. I was just saying that to get out of the meeting <laughs> I'm, I, and I spent the next pretty much two and a half years thinking the next day I would get on the phone and go, "I'm not really doing this." <laughs> just so you know, Lucy, this is not actually happening. But every day it got, I thought up something new and it developed and, and it started to take more of a shape and I got more excited about it and eventually got to the point where I realised, oh no, this is just going to be one performance and it's going to be non-stop for 72 hours and uh, and I'm going to try and involve the entire town in it. <laughs> and um, And it is going to be a sort of a modern day version of what would happen if someone like that sort of figure came back now and uh, and how would people react to that? And what if he wasn't coming to teach anyone anything? What if he was here to be taught so that the community itself is teaching him? And it's the community who are... Uh, The ones who are doing the things that we see paintings of Jesus doing. So what is known as the ministry of Jesus, you know, attending to the sick and the dying and the young and the poor and all that. That, you know, that's what communities do. That's what people in communities do. And so the whole piece was about celebrating that. And I, in order to get the Mannix involved, uh, because I thought at our Last Supper, our version of the Last Supper, it's going to be in a working men's social club in the Sunfields Estate. With pints with pints (laughs) and the idea is that these these places are being closed down which they were i mean that was the reality that that they were closing down and and um and that in our story that was a sort of an accelerated thing because they were where people could could swap stories and and meet and talk about and celebrate what was important about their town. And there was this other force that was trying to shut that sort of stuff down. So So the idea was that there would be a kind of a resistance in the town. And during one of the days of the performance, there would be outbreaks happening all around the town where people would um where there would be uh like flash mobs of of different kind of like people just dancing in the streets and in the shopping center and bands suddenly playing on the roofs of places where snipers were like looking for them and all this these things would pop up and i had this idea that there would be that all the bands i would get who were local bands um that I would get them all to wear balaclavas. So you didn't know. So it could look like it was the same band popping up everywhere. And then finally at the, our version of the Last Supper, this last night of this working men's club, because it was going to be shut down the next day. Um, the the resistance band show up that they like secretly they go, and we've got this surprise guest and the curtains open and there is this band in balaclavas. And then they take them off and it's the Mannix and they were the, you know, that was the idea. Um, and, uh, and so, in order to get the manics to do it, I had to like write them a, write James a letter and explain everything I was trying to do, and and I sort of, I, I didn't really expect them to say yes, I don't think, but but they did, <laughs> and um and it was one of the I mean it's one of the most extraordinary moments of my life, the moment when that when those curtains went back, and the manics were there in the seaside social club in Sandfields. Yeah, I've I mean I'll never I'll never forget it. I mean that 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 moment
0: is is incredible. Uh, perhaps only matched by the moment after they play, where they're marched off stage at gunpoint.
1: Wonderful. Yes, <laughs> and and Sean's brilliant piece of acting as he oh, sort of just so deftly good. knocks a microphone over yeah. in his in his fury. So <laughs> so brilliant. there's
0: no truth to the rumor that you built this whole play because you were jealous <laughs> of the Mannix
1: and wanted to actually have them executed, and they escaped. <laughs> Uh, no, that is not true. I, okay. it, it may be true that Big I did wink this whole from thing. from Michael, by the yeah. way. <laughs> it may be true that I that I spent two and a half years and did this ridiculously ambitious thing just to get the Mannix to yes. do a private concert for me. <laughs> yeah, that sort of. I mean, in fact, they also, I mean, this is the other thing, they rewrote the lyrics to Design for Life. Yeah, me? yeah. Um, uh, which I, I'm not, you know, I mean, that's pretty special. Um, and for anyone who would like to hear what those lyrics were... Uh, it was Please. do not go so gentle, do not go gentle on this night. One last chance to open up your hearts and your minds. Uh, Who will bring prosperity disguised with hypocrisy? It's up to us. We shall defend just to prove that this is not the end. A design for life, a design for life. And you can there's a like because. Pretty much the entire three days was you know, recorded on people's phones and that kind of stuff. They you know There's loads of the stuff record- on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The recordings of that you can just <laughs> you can hear me just going yep. no! yeah. just <laughs> randomly shouting with pure ecstasy at things and really singing way too loud. I mean oh, not in character
0: the, at all. On the BBC recording of it, your mic is so much louder than James's. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't uh, the that first was
0: time that you worked with them, right? It was the first time you had properly worked with them was the it's not war just the end of love music video.
1: Yes. Yes, ex- yes. That was so uh yes, they asked if I would do the video for that. Mm. Um and uh was that the first I think it was. I think that was the first time, yeah. And um and yeah, it was great. It's a weird video. It's a. I'd, I'd love to. It is a weird in, video. Yeah, it's all done in one take. Of course, that's the, it is. Yeah,
0: and I'd love about. to have been in the pitch meeting where they were like, "Okay, we've got this upbeat lead single. It's kind of got strings. It's very emotional, and it's got that Motown esque kind of thing." The music video is going to be all chess, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Russian,
2: Soviet, yeah. Cold War
0: era chess. And if that if that
1: doesn't excite you. It's all going to be in slow motion, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but slow mo chess. Michael Sheen and Annan Friel are just going to sort of get it on on the chessboard. Yeah. yeah, so, so that...
3: they're then sold by a bit
1: of snogging. That all like you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah, heavy petting. Yeah, so that was I yeah <laughs> yeah that was great. I love I loved doing that. It was fantastic. They were, <laughs> that was brilliant. Was it actually all one shot? Yeah, it's all. We had to do. It is all one shot. Yeah, and um, but obviously we had to do it loads of times.
2: Yeah, right. Um, yeah,
1: and. And it was done... Weirdly, I'm just remembering this now. Weirdly, it was done... Was it that the sound was slowed down or speeded up? It wasn't at it the normal speed. Up. Yes, it was sped up. So, so the so playback... That when it, yeah, so that when yes, it was played exactly.
0: during the music
1: video it'll look like they're mouthing along at the same time. Exactly, yes. And there was some of it that I had to sing the words to (sighs) yes, or mouth the words to. And I remember just finding it really weird that I had to sort of do... (laughs) Whilst I was doing this video. Yeah, that was really weird. But I loved it. It was a fantastic experience. I really enjoyed that. Um, See, this is yes, all news and- to me, because I didn't listen to because I had to mute it. Yeah, because you didn't <laughs> I want to take, spoil it. You I didn't take want to hear the my role yet. on
3: this podcast so seriously that I muted uh, it.
0: Uh, yeah. do, you uh, do you think you'll work with them again, or has the assassination attempt sort of soured?
1: <laughs> oh, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, uh, James came and did the Homeless World Cup for me last year, last summer. So that was, so the last time, I think that was, I was trying to think, what's the last thing I did? Did you say a-
0: Homeless World Cup?
1: Yeah. So I could you I, could
0: you just elaborate on that because that sounds awful. All right, that okay. sounds very exploitative.
2: <laughs> right. Oh, I see.
1: So every year, not this year because of the pandemic, yes. obviously, but every year there is something that is called the homeless World Cup, and it's a, a football tournament like the football World Cup, and teams mm-hmm. from all over the world come to whatever the host country is that year. And it's and the teams uh, are, are put forward by these grassroots street football organizations. So the one in Wales is right, street, okay. street Football Wales. And they put on uh, the opportunity for people who are experiencing homelessness or social exclusion mm. um, to be able to play football that's it men and women and and it's a way for people to not have you know judgment no stigma they get to kind of connect with other people you can get services to them in a more you know easier way because they're not coming down for something sort of in quotation marks worthy it's to have a kick around and you know just forget about whatever's going on and just have a kick around and um and it and it becomes sort of transformative for people and though and so those street those grassroots organizations then put together teams to go to the world cup and each country that hosts will as long as they can get to the country um then everything is taken care of from that point on right and okay. so i i i was uh involved with a uh, with uh, the welsh one street football wales who operate out of um swansea and um and i went to one of the world cups in oslo a few years ago and um i thought right i want to I want to do this in Wales so we put a bid together we won the bid we brought it to Wales Cardiff last year and I decided that um I wanted it to be sort of bigger than the ones I'd seen before so the other ones would be like a football just a sort of you know uh, football tournament like five-a-side pitches and um and um and so I decided I was going to sort of go a bit bigger than that in order to get as more as many people down to it as possible. So we put on a music festival, and we called uh, something called the the Bevan Tent, which was where there would be podcasts done and comedy and and uh, discussions and all kinds of stuff going you on. You are there. an
0: ambitious man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and uh, and so uh, and so then I asked people to come and play in the on the music bit of it, and I asked uh the Mannix if they would come down and uh and uh Sean and Nicky couldn't do it because they were because it was in the summer and you know everyone was on holiday yeah.
2: um
1: and James god bless him he he's never he's never said no to me yet he came down and um and he did uh him on on guitar uh did uh, Kevin Carter um if you tolerate this motorcycle emptiness and design for life And, um, and him doing motorcycle emptiness, uh, on just solo guitar Mm. with me standing at the side of the stage is again, another one of those unforgettable moments. I remember standing there going, oh, this is heaven. This is what heaven (laughs) is like. (laughs) Just standing here watching him do this. Um, so that, I think that was the last time he came down. And that was also the, the other thing about that was that, um, with, uh, eight weeks to go and there were. Uh, 500 people coming from... 500 of the most vulnerable people coming from all over the world to take part in this, representing their countries in in this. And with eight weeks to go, um, it was discovered there was no money. There was no money. We were supposed to have one and a half million pounds to pay for it. And work was already happening that had gone unpaid for. There were bills mounting up. And it turned out there was actually no money at all. Um, Oh, my God. And and so... uh, so, that, so that that eight weeks, you said I looked like the most stressed if you'd ever seen anybody in that documentary about the Passion. Right? If you have seen, seen me either, in those yeah. eight <laughs> weeks, um, and that was when I <laughs> I made the uh, rather bold step of giving everything I had away, <laughs> um, and wow. I will wow. I will also continue to pay for it for some time. Really? Um, so that was uh, that was a that's amazing. So the, yeah. So the relief that so that's again why during the actual event itself that went on for a week. He would just say, like, oh, my ne-
0: God, it's happening. Yeah. Thank I'd God. never
1: thought beyond getting yeah. it on, like mm. actually getting it on. And so then with it actually going on, and I remember the day that James was coming was the only day that it started raining. And I was so <laughs> terrified that James Dean Bradfield was coming down as a favor to me to do this, and it would be like pissing down with rain and no one would come. and yeah. I, It would have been the worst day of my life. And um, and that p- particular day, the rain stopped and, the, you know, the sun came out again and James Dean Bradfield stood there and played Motorcycle Emptiness on his guitar. And I've never been happier. Amazing. Yeah, it was that was great. I mean, the only I was trying to think about all the different connections. So James did a beautiful acoustic version of The View from Stowe Hill to me. On a yes. documentary I made called uh, "Valley's Rebellion," which is about the Newport uprising, uh, the Chartist uprising in Newport, of course, where um, the guys come from. And the view from Stow Hill is about that. Um, and he and I interviewed him as part of the documentary, and then he he sang that about three times for me. <laughs> um, there is a at, fantastic at the,
0: um... clip of it on YouTube where yeah, um, yeah, it, it it shows James playing the view from Stow Hill. But it's edited in such a way that you don't realise that you're there, Michael, until the very end. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I know, I know. And and and, he's, and it's at the Blackwood Miners Institute as well, mm. which is where he's doing it. And uh, funny enough, I was I was just watching it this afternoon, and as I say, I've got an eleven-month-old baby, Lyra, and she was just sitting on my lap. And she did not move wow, for the really? entire song. I mean, she won't watch anything apart from you know Plinky Plonk and uh, onions, onions. And uh, and she was absolutely held watching James playing and singing that. It was wow. remarkable. It was very yeah. It was really touched by that. Um, so there was that connection. And then. Um, the other one is uh, that I wrote the foreword for the book of photographs. The Kevin that, Cummings um, one, yeah, which Kevin I have on my book. Assassinated behind Beauty, me. Yeah. yeah, I did that. I can't remember the order when, because I gave them their award at the Q, Q Awards as well. And I, I think that was, no, that was 2017. So they that was another big honor for me was that they asked me to present yeah. them with their inspiration award at the q awards in 2017 at the roundhouse and that was and i feel i feel bad about that because i think they thought i was going to do a much bigger speech <laughs> i <laughs> With think a they list thought of I, their achievements
0: yeah, and yeah, yeah. that i was
1: going to do the sort of uh you know the holy bible version of the right. speech, <laughs> and actually i did the generation terrorists version <laughs>
3: of the speech well don't worry michael when you can have a second go at it when we ask you to present our award the pod- yes. at the podcast yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. obviously go on for hours it's fine absolutely you there you go perfect
1: perfect
0: um i would love to get on to your top 10 which you've kindly uh okay. provided to us um but yep. i do have i have a very specific uh question okay uh, well it's not that specific but it might be something that you just don't want to answer so I've left myself an edit point there um, <laughs> okay. because I'm more than happy for you to just go, no, I don't want to talk about that. And we'll edit it out. Um, okay. All, all, all three of us are, are, are big fans of, of, of film. Uh, yeah. I would say if I want to watch something that is between two and three hours, film does the job. <laughs> um, <laughs> <are you sure>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, I don't really know how to phrase it. I suppose. Michael, what happened to passengers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 in what way? What did?
0: <laughs> Such a loaded question. it was It was a script that had been like floating around for ages and ages and ages. yeah it was and, yeah, and no one would make it because it was like potentially too morally confusing for 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 a, a wide audience. And the version that ended up getting made was not the version that was written. And like, like, I mean, it just seemed like something uh, we can, we can cut this out. I'm just personally curious about it because (laughs) I saw that film and was just like, what, what happened there either pre or post or during production? Because like Andy Garcia is in that movie Yes, for one shot.
1: Yes, I was as confused about that as <laughs> I when I saw it it's true it is weird because that script had been around for years and years and years, yeah, and it had um, Keanu Reeves attached at one point yeah, well, every girlfriend I'd had had been sent that script really over various years, yeah, so there were at least three people that I was in a relationship with at some point during that relationship they got sent that script wow and um so i that's how i that's why I knew about it um and uh. And the weird thing is, of course, is that there are scripts that kind of hang around for ages in Hollywood. Mm. But they, people do not have qualms about changing the script. Like no. If it's not getting made, then it'll be changed. It'll, all kinds of things will happen. So it's quite odd that a script would hang around that long and not get made and then eventually get made for that kind of money. And I, my understanding was that people had been on board to do it and then someone had dropped out, one person had dropped out or whatever. And that happens a lot um, for no particular yeah, yeah, not for scheduling reason, or whatever. Just like yeah. it just happens. Yeah. People, you know, the big, it was always going to be big stars doing the main two parts. That was how it was seen. It was going to be a tent pole film. It was big sci fi, you know, big budget film. And because there's hardly any people in it, then the two main people had to be big. And yeah. so, and because of that, you're talking about actors who will be offered everything under the sun and, you know, and suddenly something else might come along and all that. So it never quite happened. And I think there was always, a concern um I and I only found this out later, but there was always a concern that there was a a a challenge in the film mm. around the moral That central uh, relationship the ethics of what yeah, yeah what happens. What and does, so I yeah. think I think the reason why the trigger got pulled and it got made with Jennifer and Chris was because they were both seen as being incredibly likable oh, actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. therefore and, and particularly Chris you know, that no one would hold it against him for what that character does in the film, I think was the idea. (laughs) He's just that lovable. Yeah. And they were wrong.
2: (laughs) I think ultimately,
1: I think they were wrong. They were, Michael. Um, They were so wrong. I I do not, I I don't remember the script being changed. I'm not aware that there was like some big, there was no like behind the scenes, as far as I'm aware. And I remember I was just coming in you know to do my bit really i was I your, was your massively crazy long
0: period, robot it? bartender from the yeah. shining s exactly sort of yeah. Vibe. Yeah. yeah
1: and i loved in the same way as i really liked the idea one of the things i really liked about doing twilight was that i was gonna take my place in the pantheon of film vampires right <laughs> because, and there is that you know there is that sense oh i'm i'm gonna yeah. get to do my vampire. that character
0: actually. and tony blair of course
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um there was there was also a sense with passengers that I was gonna get to do my uh ethically or morally ambiguous robot in space. So right. thinking about, yeah, you know, good alien. In, yeah. in home yeah. in alien yeah. and you know, and all those, you know. Um and I like that idea and the, and especially that there was a kind of shining mm. echo yeah. there as well. I thought that was really lovely. So I like that idea. Um but I came in essentially and just did like I think I did a couple of blocks of filming on it. Um uh, but, so I'm, I am I wasn't aware that there was any big behind the scenes. I, you know, often with films that don't turn out to be what they were hoped to be, it's mm. because there's been, like, just chaos or there's been some nightmare going on behind the scenes. I wasn't aware of it. It was very smooth, as far as I could tell, mm. doing that film. I'm not aware that anything was changed. It definitely and seemed I think to it was in just,
0: post, maybe, I think.
1: Maybe. But the film I watched was the film that was the script. I didn't see it. The script, the script I mean, had Andy Garcia in it for one shot. Well, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Really? That character, yeah. I, that's what was so confusing to me when I watched it, because I was like... Was Andy Garcia just Andy Garcia. Was, was hanging around, was he? <laughs> I have no I mean, idea. I mean,
3: you say that, like that's never <laughs> so happened day, before. Like people cameo in films. You know there's a word, cameo, right? It means like small <laughs> yes, role but in a film. I,
1: I, but I agree. It's not a cameo. He's literally just... He just shows up. And like... <laughs> And I don't know if it was because I, don't, I maybe I don't know was there supposed to be a sequel that that character was going to be a bigger part. I, I really don't know. But that was not. It's not like the original script had that character in it more. It wasn't. That's oh. exactly what it was. I don't wow. even remember that character in the script. Yeah. And then I, I, you know, it was just like a scene where people came on, just did that. There was no name. For anyone in it that's and then insane. i watched the film and was like i'm sure that's andy garcia <laughs> <laughs> my,
3: my read is that you know a film for that to do it actually the morally questionable way that some people would argue would have made it better is having the chris pratt character be a bit more of a bad man uh you probably have to do it on a far smaller budget but a film yeah. of that scale needs a massive budget and massive stars and then yeah, you've got yeah. the like yeah you want likable protagonists you don't mm. want horrible, horrible, horrible people. Those people
1: show up in films
3: that cost like five million quid. Yeah, you know, tent it's pole true. release.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: It is true that 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 the there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the idea of someone uh, of making a film where someone does that, and it is like that is a weird thing to do. Like you've essentially yeah, killed yeah. this woman by doing. There's nothing wrong, that's really that's a really interesting premise for a film. It's just that you can't make a film that's you know however it costs much of three hundred you know, million quid, hundreds day. of <laughs> millions costs. of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't. That ain't going to fly. Uh, um, I don't, I don't yeah. want
0: this to become just the passengers podcast thing, anything, <laughs> but there, there is a way to fix that, which is just make her an engineer instead of him. Uh, so yeah. he has to... If only they had well, to. Think, think, yeah, I know. Well, if anybody is listening to this because we've got Michael Sheen on and they want to hire me as some kind of Hollywood script doctor, I'm not sure. opposed to the idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: <laughs> or, that, or that the Jennifer Lawrence character savagely murders the Chris Pratt character. I, I would watch of- that frenzied revenge <laughs> yeah. like, and then, and, that would have been fair and, then use. and then gets into a really weird sexual relationship with the robot, robot character. Like, yeah sure and they develop a whole new breed of of, of humanity by the time they uh is, is this, right... this
0: is this the script you wrote michael <laughs> yeah.
1: and andy garcia just has appears. to, has just to deal with it all yeah. these well, no. little little weird robot Babies. Well, Andy Garcia the
3: plays the robot baby. You see, oh yeah. You cut, yes, you cut okay. to like you know sixty years later, and that's a grown-up robot baby as Andy Garcia. Exactly. That's so weird, let's isn't it? let's yeah. talk
0: about Manic Street preachers. <laughs> Sorry, who? <laughs> um, you have put together a a top ten match. These are just there's no like qualifiers, no um theme. This is just your all-time top ten Manic Street preachers songs. Zortime.
1: Uh Sort of. <laughs> okay. um, it's in <laughs> well. no particular order. Well, no, it is actually in an order because it's in sort of chronological order rather okay. than order of you know how much I I love them. Um, and also, it's it's impossible. It I change can't next choose week. Ten. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I just can't choose ten. But I've sort of done a version of it. Yeah, all right. Let's start of. at number. I mean, number I cheat. I'm cheating all the way through. Do oh, you know, okay,
0: okay, but fine. yeah, okay. Well, we'll see what I allow and what I disallow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go for it. Let's start at number ten.
1: Uh, oh, oh, well, number number one. It makes no difference. Yeah, it's it's really, like, number X. Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. start at the beginning. <laughs> yes, okay. So the first one is Suicide Alley. Um, I cool. I do love the like I say. It's the most stripped down mm. uh, and laying bare of the two elements of Manic Street Preachers that I think they successfully bring together or hold at the same time that tension of the yeah. the kind of rush versus kind of skids it's mad that they came out that fully formed I suppose that's
0: like their yeah. first single and kind of it does sum up a lot of what they're about if not their style going forward mm. then at least their sort of approach to how they write music
1: yeah that kind of simple directness that like you know Sex Pistols never mind the ball it's kind of feel to the the what they're doing and then in the background this kind of weird rush prog rock
2: yeah. um
1: <laughs> kind of chord sequence it just sort of i don't know it 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 really kind of um just zings out to me and that that was their first record i just think it's yeah. fantastic so that's that's in there number the next one uh is slash and burn cool oh, because sucks. a banger yeah and and <laughs> And that, and it is because that is the probably the one manic song that is going round in my head the most. The one I find myself singing when I'm doing the dishes or whatever, yeah. you know. Which, which bit is, are you singing? The chorus or the or the riff? It's I'm doing. I'm doing that da, 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 in my head. That's what's happening the most. And I love the um, I love the kind of exile on Main Street, Rolling Stones opening you know i love that kind of that there's a nice sort of stones Exile on main street feel to that um and and then the kind of just guns and roses that's Guns-O-Roses going yeah. through it i, it's I, I, o- just, I, I just, it's guns and roses it's guns yeah. and roses yeah. i mean
3: yeah. i'm hearing that song because that would be you know the first song off the first album yeah when, when my idea of manix bear in mind i'd heard three songs was oh they're like a they're like a dad rock band right was basically what yeah. my yeah. idea of them was hearing that i was like what's this yeah
1: sorry what's going on now? yeah
2: sorry exactly
1: <laughs> and that's the thing you kind of go you listen to that's listen to slash and burn and then listen to you know if you tolerate this your children will be next mm. and go that's the same band <laughs> and it's not even and like it's not that Korea many years In yeah, between yeah it's only a little yeah. window of time there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like... really weird yeah. isn't it um but i could equally i suppose have picked um matt west barclays midlands lloyd's which i absolutely love as well yeah um what an insane name for a song and a about, chorus about banks, for a song. Yeah, it's about banks. Yeah, it is yeah. about banks, banks. in it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because of my work around high cost credit, I will one day use that song <laughs> yes. in relation to the work that I do in on high cost credit stuff. Um, then the next one is... I guess the first real, real classic, uh, which is "Motorcycle Emptiness." I guess mm. is it? Can you say that's the first classic on that? Level? I don't. I know. think so. Yeah, it's made um, everyone's mean, top Slash ten the so classic. far. I think hasn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's their first like song for the ages, I guess. Um, yeah. That's on that, and it is. I mean, it's just a, this is a beautiful mm. song. It's one of those songs you think. Wow, when you when you come up with that, you must think you must go home and go, oh, that was a good day's work. Yeah. Like that comes sort of does that come fully formed? Is that I don't know, it's just a sort of and also I have you know, the I have that memory of James playing it solo yeah. at the Homeless World Cup last year. So it has a kind of extra. Yeah, that emotion that, that like
0: phone. emotional context can be very uh, important with uh, yeah. with music, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yes, in fact, there are a couple of songs later on in my top 10 that that pertains to particularly as well the next one is um uh as again same album uh you love us because it's it just yeah, yeah. says who they are i yeah. mean that like, everything we talked about earlier about the idea of you know we're going to Really rub you all up on the wrong, you know, the wrong way, and you fucking love us. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't, fuck off. Yeah. Like that attitude is just oh, it's wonderful, and um, and it's and it's and it's a great song as well. It's, it is a great song. It's what we've done um, with this
0: podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, that that, exactly. that that lyric in there, "You love us like a holocaust," is a bananas thing to oh, put in a in an introductory yeah. song.
1: <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. I mean, it's the audacity of it is yeah. so fantastic. Um, what, yeah? What was the um, what was Barack Obama's autobiography called? The Audacity of Hope. Yes. There's something. I mean, that's the most Manix, yeah, <laughs> <most laughs> Manix title of a yeah. ex American president's <laughs> autobiography you could possibly have. Um, so the next one we're moving on to Holy Bible now uh, is. So we've skipped. We've skipped Gold Against the Soul. We've scared, and, that, and that's not because. And I know Gold Against the Soul gets a really bad rap, and all that stuff. And I, I do like it. I do really like that album. Um, and again, this is that thing that I said earlier about you go, you know, you've got a band who can make Generation Terrorists, and uh, this is my truth. Tell me yours. And in between, you've got the Holy Bible, and I'm not mentioning the album that Design for Life is on. But also, they did Gold Against the Soul. There's a whole album, you know, and there's like amazing stuff on Gold Against. I really like it. It's just a very different direction that they kind of could have gone yeah. further and i and, and i don't think the grungy sort of stuff has dated very well it, personally it is, for
0: me it's, it is maybe you know, the album that sounds the most
1: of its time maybe yeah and, yeah. and maybe the least like a stick of rock that has Manics written all the way through it's right not that yeah i mean yeah, yeah. and that can be different like you know generation terrorists in very different album to holy bible is very different to this is my truth tell me yours but it's still very much that band somehow, whereas yeah. Gold Against the Soul feels like it's doing something else, and I really like that something else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, it, but it's not up I, there. I, it's not in the. I don't like echelon. it as much as I like the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we've yeah.
0: got we've got. Did you say she is suffering? So
1: yeah, she is suffering. Uh, where, where they essentially invent Queens of the Stone Age, don't they? In that opening, isn't Ooh. that op- So Queens of the Stone Age didn't form for a few years after. Um, Holy Bible, and that the opening to "She Is Suffering" sounds like yeah. Queens of the Stone Age to me, and I'm, I'm fairly sure now. I'm fairly sure Josh knows that album. <laughs> like that will definitely have been uh an album that Josh was was into. Do you um, think? And yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I've had Ooh, conversations with Josh thing. about Duran Duran, so right. <laughs> He definitely knows the Mannix, and he definitely knows the Holy Bible. And I am fairly certain, uh, in the same way as the Mannix totally lift a bit of Tom Sawyer from Rush on Patrick Bateman, Right, Josh yeah. definitely lifted that opening of "She Is Suffering." For <laughs> okay, well, for big claims from Machine. Yeah. Do tweet at um, us, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, And it, I just think it's a. I think that's an amazing song. I mean, the whole album is incredible, obviously, um, but that is the song that. At, well, at the moment, going back over it, it's the mm. one. It's one of the ones that um, that just really, really, sort of hits me when you listen to that. Um, but I could just as easily have picked, you know if white America told the truth one day, it's world would fall oh, apart, yeah. which is also an extraordinary song. song as well. Yeah. Um, this is how I'm cheating. Do you notice how I'm yeah, oh yeah. two songs, but yeah, I didn't yeah. choose that yeah. one. It's, I chose the other one. It's not
0: gone unnoticed and I so will allow it, but do so watch So I've still yourself. only picked four songs. <laughs> um,
1: so the next one is still on Holy Bible and it's uh, faster because it was oh, the song yeah. that had well, the uh, impact yeah. on me. It's an amazing song. It's a hot badger. It's, it slaps. Uh, yeah.
3: Again, yeah. also one of the only other song that made all three of our top tens, I
1: think uh-huh. yeah, that's true yeah. because it slaps, yeah oh, it's, yeah. So good. it's just so good, yeah, yeah, I mean, any song that begins with "I am an architect" is a f- that's fantastic- that's great when you sort of you know you get so used to songs, don't you, and and you get so used to them, and you sort of take it for granted, it's a song that begins with "I am an architect <laughs> 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 it's amazing, amazing anyway, um, and now, so. We're now moving on to um, everything must go. So, uh, a design for life. It's, sure, it's the an song,
0: omnipresent it. it's, fabric yeah. of music and reality. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: it's um, what a belt. And it and it is like like I was saying about the Beatles, where you just hear <laughs> it so much. I've heard it so many times. It's so amazing, and yet it just becomes part of it. If you're not careful, it becomes part of the furniture, and it's hard to hear yeah. the song. Sorry, I keep uh, sorry. Something is beeping here. Oh. Forgive me. Um, it's the uh, design for life beep. That's what <laughs> yeah, happens <sure>. whenever <laughs> it gets mentioned. Um, but it is. It is just an ex- extraordinary song, and it's and it is one of those ones that. Oh, for God's sake! Sorry. Hang
0: on. Oh, I thought you were becoming very emotional about the song.
4: <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm it's, um, it. it's the reason why it didn't make yours top ten, wasn't it, Adam?
0: Because it, it's just yeah, it, it, and it, it's, mine. It, it, it's just there it, and, and it, yeah and it always it, there's almost no point in putting design for life in my top 10 because it's at point yeah. 0.0 and yeah. and then i get room for 10 other songs I'm exactly surprised. Yeah. i'm surprised you're not cheating with it as well michael exactly
1: well that <laughs> did wait. occur to me i was like maybe maybe i just won't put it in there because yeah. it it's allows me more room but i thought you know what i can't do that it is one of the greatest songs ever written I believe. it's an incredible song um, yeah and it and it is so it it has to be there. Um and it also. Are you hearing this thing happen? I can't. No, uh, not I'm not hearing anything. anything. Sorry, sorry. You can edit it out. I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, and also, it has. I have so many kind of personal memories with it now as well. Mm. So, like, I clearly remember a moment where I was driving uh, uh, across the Seven Bridge into wales and it just came on the radio was yes. and i just Ooh. burst into tears as yeah. i was driving across you know it's ridiculous ridiculous um but you know that <laughs> so what, even now the hairs on my is... arms
4: are standing on and just thinking <laughs> about that
1: <laughs> yeah it's just it's a memory um like i said they they sang that on the passion at the passion at the last yeah. supper and changed the lyrics for us and you know um james did it a solo version of it at the homeless world cup so there's just all these associations with it now as well so uh, it's and and there's sort of something sort of wonderful about the uh, that how people have misinterpreted that song Mm -hmm. so much and it's that it's it's this kind of laddish drinking song uh, and actually it's it's (laughs) it's what steve said earlier it's
0: that it's that infiltration that being able to like write a a huge laddie drinking song that actually if you dig five centimeters five centimeters beneath the earth it's actually not that and is sort of playing Mm -hmm. with these things of of class and irony and stuff yeah it's such an impressive piece of writing
1: yeah and it opens with one of the greatest opening lines of a song i think libraries gave us power it's just that that those four words just have so much in them (laughs) to do with working class history welsh welsh mining history south walian history like there's so much in there um and uh it, it, you know that was is you know knowledge is power i saw written on the one of the miners banners that they used to carry you know celebrating the mining industry and and the idea that these communities that that were able to educate themselves. That that was a noble thing. That the that the mining communities would be able to provide their own education because the, because the fucking society wouldn't give it to them because they didn't. You know, it, it just it just says everything, and it's just four words at the opening of a song.
0: I'm getting emotional, and the song's not even playing. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: so yeah so that's there. um and then uh i mentioned earlier but uh next one this is seven on on my list uh small black flowers that grow in the sky Mm. beautiful um yeah Yeah. and and it's so different to you know there's not many songs the manics wrote like that and um and it's you know richie's lyrics obviously and in some ways you know, for all the ferocity and and directness, like naked, vulnerable, exposed rawness of all the stuff that Richie wrote on Holy Bible, there's something about this song that somehow um, gets to me about what he was going through more than anything else, weirdly. Yeah. And he's not even, you know, he's clearly use it, using the metaphor of uh, a tiger in a in a zoo. and mm. But he's, you know, you can't help but, believe that he's writing about himself and and about his feelings of of being just in the wrong place and yeah absolutely and 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 wanting to get out and 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 like i say that last line is just devastating of you know here chewing your tail is joy it just yeah it just kind of gets to the to the heart of an experience which i choose to believe is is what richie's experience was. Um, it, using that metaphor in a way that is it, it more uh, powerful for me than than even the rawness of writing about this experience itself, which he was doing more of on Holy Bible, and I guess because of the 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 you know the 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 music that's around it, the beautiful song that's around it, and the image yeah. of small black flowers yeah that grow in the sky is you know it's got something to the, the is it Baudelaire who wrote. Uh, de Mal, the flowers of evil there's you know clearly richie was into that and and also i'm reminded of it at the moment because i've got a 11 uh, month old baby now and we've just started watching in the night garden which is a children's oh, dear. show and they really have creepy small, one. <laughs> small white flowers that grow in the sky yeah there's a point it's very trippy Michael, and there's a moment also, where they also
4: have the ninky nonk Michael, yes the ninky nonk <laughs> and the pinky pop oh, they do
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah so don't forget the pinky pong i'm
0: sorry L- yeah. lucas and i don't have children and have <laughs> yeah. no idea what well
1: can i recommend that you watch one episode of in the night garden or even just the beginning of it and the, se- the opening sequence is this very weird little blue thing <laughs> <laughs> getting on a boat <laughs> eagle pickle. across a yeah, eagle pickle <laughs> getting on a sort of a sailboat to go across the sea at night time in order to go to the night garden and it's all done in sort of Weird sort of stop, stop motion. motion effects. And then it goes up into the night sky and in the blackness of the night sky, little white flowers just suddenly start coming into existence and take over the whole screen. That and then when haunting. you move through the white flowers, yeah, you're in the night well, garden, I, I which is a, just a regular garden. I read a horrific take on that <laughs> is that he's, he's,
4: he's stranded at sea. And he's yeah. like dehydrated, and he's just slowly passing. And he goes into this world, and that's that's what he sees. He sees the night garden before he dies. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and that is the
1: that is the video for small black flowers yeah. that grow in the sky.
0: Oh, someone, uh, anyone listening who wants to do that, who wants yeah. to put the intro of in the night garden to small black flowers that grow in the sky, please send us a YouTube link. That would. Well, be Adam, just amazing. do it yourself, mate. You know, you don't I have enough you don't give I'm yourself so enough busy. work with this podcast I'm as it so is. Add another thing that you've got to do. <laughs>
4: Uh, wait, wait till you see Moon and Me with your child, Michael. It's it's oh, terrible. Oh, have you seen that? Oh, I have. Onions, onions. Yeah, it's onions, the weird onions. jangly jester yeah. thing. I forgot. It's like, oh, yeah, God, terrifying. Yeah. Anyway. Why is Kids yeah. TV so freaky? Like, there was bloody... Thank you. Yep. Yeah because yep. it, yes. it's not for us, Lucas. That's why.
3: <laughs> yeah, but the Magic yeah. Roundabout, like, was you know
1: low key weird. weird as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. These are these are this is a golden age of kids' TV that yeah. we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah. In the Night Garden and uh, The Moon and Me are classics. Yeah. It's, it, like it, they they are self consciously going for yeah. that weirdo, trippy. Yeah. I mean, it's there's extraordinary things going on in them that I love yeah. them. I well, if you want to watch cool. something that truly is
3: creepy, that's not really kids' TV, is if you've not seen it, Michael, watch. Don't hug me, I'm scared which is a YouTube series right. of a yeah. kids' TV series which isn't for kids. I don't want to talk right. about it anymore, i Okay, yeah. Yeah. Don't, definitely. Don't. I will definitely Let's move watch on. on. Don't watch, it, okay. with yeah, okay. don't watch
1: uh, it with your child. Don't watch uh, it with your child. No, I will move on. Uh, so n- number eight is... Uh, oh, we're on to... Um, this is My Truth, Tell Me Yours now, which already is um, uh, an Irene Bevan quote, so that's amazing. Yep. amazing. Um, and it's... I I think I think this is my favorite Manic song of all time. I think. Uh, if you tolerate this, your children will be next. Chef kiss. Never heard of it. Think I think. No, I I think <laughs> yeah, I think. Is it? I don't know. Is that sort of considered their greatest song, or is "Design for Life" considered their greatest? I'd, I'm not sure, but it's, I think that's my favorite song of all time. Of it's difficult to say. I.
0: A Design for Life didn't make my top 10 because I find it to be, like like we were saying, like omnipresent. But If You Tolerate This did make my top 10 because I think even though it is omnipresent, it still transcends yeah. that and just... Uh, I can't even put it into words, really, the way that, that song makes hmm. me feel. It is a, a perfect, a perfect yeah. song, I think.
1: And I wonder if... It's also on purpose. You cannot misinterpret it. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> As
1: opposed to a design for life, they've gone, you know what? We're, this is sort of another a design for life, but no one's going to get this wrong. Yeah. Oh, I, if I, I don't know. If Michael. I can shoot rabbits, <laughs>
0: <I> why can't <laughs> I just fascists. shoot fascists? <laughs> Th- then you have instances of the BMP using it for their
1: adverts. Really? Yeah. Even though they talk about shooting fascists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But they use just the chorus. You know, if you tolerate this, you're charging it. It's it's like your <laughs> yeah,
3: it's almost like it's almost like it's lost yeah. on
1: idiots, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, on uh, yeah, you can also do you know, you could take the uh, there ain't no black in the Union Jack. There's yeah, not enough yeah. white in the sure. stars and stripes just out of context, it. and suddenly yeah. that's a very different song. Yeah. Isn't it? But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But I th- I find I, that song works for me in every way i mean mm. I, lyrically i think it's brilliant uh, politically the way it deals with politics in 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 a song form uh, it, it's it's so it makes me you know, it it does move me to tears. I think every time I hear it now, I can't hear it without. I mean, I was listening to it last night, and my girlfriend came down, and she got really worried because I was sitting in the kitchen with headphones on. She didn't know what I was listening to. I was sitting on my own in the kitchen crying, and uh, and it was because I was listening to that. It's, I mean, it's just an absolutely remarkable song.
0: Oh I yeah, think. yeah, absolutely incredible. I think that's yeah. that's been in almost all of our. Top tens as well that we've had from our guests. Right. Mm.
1: Maybe? Maybe not. I really think in, on that album as well, they do, you know, they are playing around and experimenting with kind of planes of sound, aren't they? Yes, There's
0: soundscapes, like... which is a word that I hate, but it's right, very, yeah. uh, very appropriate for that album. They're like yeah. kind
1: of, I remember someone talk, telling me about Rothko paintings, you know, the paint of Rothko. Mm, yeah. And when you go to see them in the gallery I can't remember which one is the British it's the Tate Modern I the National I think. or the Tate yeah right so there's a room and there is just these massive monolithic kind of paintings of just sort of slabs of color yeah. and and I remember someone saying if you just stand there for long enough they seem to sort of vibrate after a while and um I remember thinking that sounds like the biggest load of pretentious <laughs> bollocks I've ever heard <laughs> and I went and I went there and I remember standing there going yeah, right. Am I actually standing here waiting for them to sort of vibrate? <laughs> this is not... What am I doing? This is nonsense. And just before I gave up, like, it started to happen. I got this kind of weird thing that started to happen, and, it, and I sort of got it. Um, and that album at times reminds me of that. Yeah. There are these just sort of... Just like, yeah, these sheets, these s- s- slabs of feeling that mm. just kind of vibrate through some of these songs. and um, And I think... The 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 most sort of masterful version of that is in uh, if you tolerate this, your children will be next. Did you but know it was originally going
0: to be a B side?
1: No, really?
0: Yeah, they recorded it as a B side. <laughs> wow! The Manic
1: Street Preachers are secretly idiots. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the one where they were gonna. Is that the one where they thought "Be Natural" was going to be?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The they big were, seller. They
0: were going to release "Be Natural" first.
1: That's Good song like, though. That was the one they were excited about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Until yeah, their one of
0: their um, record label execs came down and went, "Are you are you actually fucking joking? Because this, <laughs> this is the single. <laughs> this is obviously wow. the single."
1: <laughs> wow. There is sort of something brilliant about that as well. That you know. Oh yeah. did yeah, yeah. kind of recognise that, but yeah. Wow. Well, well, yeah. So that's. I think that is my favourite of all time. But again, like I, I also think Australia is an extraordinary
2: piece mm. of. cheating again because of
1: that yeah well yeah cheating again but partly because i it was only when i really got what the lyrics were about yeah like for for a long time i only just sort of heard the song musically and i I loved it because it was you know it's so bombastic that's the other thing about welsh people who are successful from wales tend to be incredibly bombastic (laughs) tom jones shirley bassey james dean bradfield James Dean Bradfield, yeah. exactly. Um, have you seen any of my performances the last couple of years as well? They're getting they're getting bigger and bigger all the time. Um, and and there is a sort of bombast to that sound of Australia. But then when you when I did kind of really get what Nikki was sort of on about underneath, it 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 took the song somewhere else for me, and so uh, it sort of takes it a, you know to another place. But anyway, but it didn't make it onto the list. I'm I'm so cheated. Um, So next, I'm going to go for um, the double A side that never existed of "Ready for Drowning" and "Nobody Loved You." This is absolute cheat. Obviously, that is ridiculous. um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but the reason why I put them both there is because uh, "Ready for Drowning" has such a resonance if you if you know what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've stood there at that reservoir. And, and uh, and you know, and you can't help but imagine the town that's under there. And in the early days, the water used to lower and you could see bits of that. Like the, there were the graves, the gravestones started to appear. Yeah. They had to take the gravestones out because you could see them under the water. And that's when the water dropped and the haunting. church spire and all this kind of, yeah, it's crazy. That's and like in am- the
0: night garden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> there's an extraordinary photograph of the entire village because there was you know it was only i can't remember how many people it was like 40 people or 60 people or something um the entire village in their sort of sunday best clothes having a photograph taken of them the day they were going to go and try and plead for God. their town to not be drowned in london they were going to i, I can't remember if they're going to liverpool or london to either to parliament or to liverpool to the waterboard or whatever it was but, but there's this extraordinary picture on anyway if you know the history you know what that's all about and you know kind of what that says not just about that incident but the 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 ramifications of that the resonances of it for Wales and yeah uh then then it that song becomes something else um and I don't have you ever seen the the version where um James sings it with John Cale yes Mm -hmm. I have beautiful really beautiful yeah yeah really extraordinary um yeah, so I put it as a double A side with Nobody Loved You because Nobody Loved You sneaked in there having listened to it again for the first time in ages. And you couldn't and going, do anything oh, about it. Oh, this has it. to you be You couldn't do there. anything yeah, about I couldn't, it, Michael. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I'm not, even, I'm not even doing the cheat that I've done, which is, and it could have been Nobody Loved You, but it wasn't. I'm saying, no, they're both there yeah. as a double <laughs> right. A side. Okay. cool. They're just, that's what's happening. Um, and then lastly, I think we're on our last one now, isn't it? Um it's six uh, songs. I... <laughs> yes, it's the it's whole no of um, "Forever Delay." Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, sim- similar sort of thing. It was going to be "Found That Soul," and I and I love "Found That Soul" because I love the Stooges kind of chugging riff that's going on there, and yeah. um, and and James just, I mean, the, you know, on um, is it? Yeah, it's "Condemned to Rock and Roll," isn't it? Where James like the, I I'm not. A massive fan of the entire song, but what James does in that guitar, the, instrument, the instrumental bit, yeah, that's, is like yeah. that's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely, and it is that does really remind me of Alex Livesum from Rush as well. That's like that could be on. That's very proggy. Yeah, that that. Yeah, whole song. that could, yeah. that's definitely like that could be on one of Rush's albums. That's like you know I don't know Y Y Z or something like that. Like it's just. Absolutely masterful, really heavy, and just going from one like incredible riff to another. Um, but and there's a little bit of that in Fun That Soul as well, which I really like. Um, but I didn't go for that, I went for <laughs> <laughs> I went for um, uh, Door to the River, which we were talking oh. about earlier, which um. Yes. Which uh, I just think is a beautiful song. I th- I feel like I never hear anyone really talking about it. Um, and um, you should listen to an episode on "Forever Delayed"
0: because <laughs> right. Lucas. Um, right. Lucas, that made your top ten, didn't it? It snuck in. I'd
3: like made my top ten basically, and then we listened to. We obviously it's on "Forever Delayed," so hmm. I was able to sneak it in right at the last minute to my top ten. So yeah. a, one of the few that
0: we all agreed is really beautiful and just yeah. very, right because very, very there is
1: a sort of a feeling isn't there often that songs that get onto comp- new songs that get put onto compilation albums, I kind of look down on a bit aren't they yeah. like oh that's yeah. just they're getting that on there We're assuming and, it's their greatest hit <laughs> I think Adam actually had <laughs> well, that exact complaint yeah about. <laughs> oh, no see I would say the opposite I would say that the reason why they get looked down upon is because it's like a, it's just they're just sneaking it oh, on yeah. okay. and it and you know it's like I, I don't know not not that they think, oh, this is one of our greatest hits, even though you've never heard it. I feel like it's, oh, we've got to put something new on there. To get, oh, let's just shove, let's to just get shove even, this on.
0: E- even the well, like, versed fans have to buy this because it's got a new song
1: on it. Yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. like it's. Yeah, I like it need a single. Sort of no, that it's not gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess, yeah, um, and yet, so they often get sort of, you know, overlooked, don't they? But that is, I think, that's really beautiful. Yeah. like a really be- any song that Nikki writes the lyrics to that james is singing and has the word river in it it's That's, niche yes yeah but, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. but it sort of it takes you to a place others <laughs> <laughs> well there's um oh no not river like river or bridge okay <laughs> you know anything to do right, with water okay. yeah, of course yeah course. yeah bridge yeah, yeah. river there's walk me to the bridge as well isn't there uh, yeah um, of course and uh, yeah there's a there is a you know anything that has that kind of resonance yeah, of course. just becomes a sort of like a different context, thing yeah. really doesn't it yeah um so that yeah, is that and that's, is all. Um, that's it. That
0: is all in the first half of their career as well. Yeah, yeah. What is your relationship
1: to like the second
0: half of their career?
1: Well, I suppose I don't know it as well, right? Uh, I I haven't spent as much time with it. Um. There's, and there's loads of songs I really like. Mm. Like I like I really like loads of it. I just don't like it as much as these. Yeah, you know, absolutely. These are like these Fair are enough. the songs, and it's and it's also I think to do with. You know, the, pretty much all the songs I've picked are ones that I heard during you know a particular period of my life. They have and, that
0: emotional context. Yeah, and yeah. They,
1: and they're part of my life. There, so when you you know that's the thing when you're asked to pick your top ten, they yeah. have to they have to tick a lot of different boxes and it's not just oh i really like that song i think that's really interesting so there's loads of stuff in their career as it's going on in the in the more latter stages that i think are really interesting and and that i really like and uh, but there's nothing yet and i suppose that's the that's the point yet yeah. i mean i haven't spent those songs haven't spent as long in my life and haven't accumulated as much yeah emotional stuff around it as these have it's quite nice because that's almost at the
4: point you know we've done Lifeblood now but at the point we are in their career in so we know yeah, all
0: there's those no songs. there's no spoilers there yeah. there's
3: no yeah, spoilers <laughs> there. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: that is a, yeah. a ridiculously strong top 10 i will put it into top 10? a top 10 was that a top, 10? Uh, uh, top 10 top, top 15, 18 20, 20. <laughs> <laughs> i'll put but it I into a spotify
1: find, playlist and i, I think will, you'll find uh, apart from the double a side <laughs> That is a top 10. Yeah. All right. Well, I think Adam's just annoyed
3: annoyed (laughs) because he got forced to so strictly make it 10. And I know Adam really, really anguished
1: over it. (laughs) I'm totally exploiting my my guest. (laughs) Um, Michael, thank you
0: so much for joining us this evening on like a super hot day of the year when you could be doing other things. It's It's such a pleasure. It's been such like such a treat to talk to you. Honestly, it really has. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, You are sort of uh, everywhere at the moment. (laughs) Uh, You know, to do sort of like an Earthsat sort of plugs section we've got we've got good omens on amazon which is great mm-hmm. we've got staged on the iplayer we've got prodigal son which everyone can catch up with on like now tv i think it's on sky i need to catch up with prodigal son yeah uh, sky what, one what yep. else should we be plugging what else should we funnel our our tens of listeners towards
3: <laughs> 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 oh, oh
1: creaky
0: um
1: Oh, Tron really. Three
0: out 2022. <laughs>
2: so, yeah,
1: yes. yeah. No, starring I mean,
0: Lucas Way and Michael Sheen. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Lucas Way gets first billing there, which is really yeah. weird. It's a it's real breakout role. It's to a breakout him. role. <laughs> I get the and, and <laughs> <Steve Murphy. laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, no, I I I suppose because uh, I'm doing more Prodigal Son. You know, there's there's potentially more of things I've already done happening. Um, mm. rather than anything anything yeah, new at the moment um, yeah. uh, and there's lots of reasons for that one I mean that's it's great because it means that you know what what I've done recently has been successful enough for people to want more of it and be, and it's in a format that there can be more of so that's a good sign um it also means that I can <laughs> pay off everything I owe for the homeless yeah. world yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which helps um. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping, really, I suppose that over the next little while, and it is difficult to do this, but um, uh, I, I'm I'm hoping to 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 start writing stuff more of my own and and developing more stuff myself. So developing specifically stories that um, specifically Welsh stories, actually. Oh, um, cool! That I want to be able to try and um, what kind of get form will they take? On? Do you think? Um, I it could be any number of things: TV, theatre, film. You know, it could be anything really. Um, it's sort of looking for and there are plenty of stories out there um and it's just looking for what would work best and who's best to do it and um and 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 what i'm which one or ones i'm gonna do myself I, it's it's funny you talked about when you were doing like research into serial killers and uh <laughs> mm. i i wrote a oh, script yes. um that i that i was supposed that was going to be the first thing i was going to direct as a film and it was about a real life um case uh, that was called the green River killer case um and having spent a lot of time on that um uh it, yeah it's rough doing that kind of stuff and it's funny yeah. because of course they the the Manics on um, wrote "Archives of Pain," which is sort of about that's the, kind the of one distasteful fascination with serial killers and stuff as well in it, yeah. and, um, and that and I was very ambivalent about about that with that script, and you know I'm playing a serial killer in in "Prodigal Son," even though it's a sort of ridiculous, sort of over the top, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's you sort know, of pulpy sort all, of thing, yeah. is it? Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so it's carving out the time, that's the thing I suppose I was getting to, yeah. to actually write something and work on something. It can take so long and it's, mm. it is quite difficult. When that's not the main thing you do, that is quite difficult. But that is something that I'm hopefully going to do a bit more of over the next little while. Well,
0: I look forward to seeing that or hearing it or, or whatever, whatever it ends up being, I, I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Michael, was there anything that we didn't touch
1: on that you wanted to bring up? Um, my great-great-grandfather... Was a manic street preacher.
4: <laughs> well, there you go.
1: What, uh, Are what? we going to elaborate, or <laughs> that's the end so of the podcast? Done. You just want to leave it
0: there, do you? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So my my uh, hang on, is it great grandfather? So my mother's grandfather. So what's that? That's my great grandfather. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. my great grandfather yeah. um, was um, a total waster in Patalbert, drunkard, gambler. Cool. A real wastrel, and Weastle. one night, um, so, and he, uh, uh, one night he was thrown out of a pub in Patalbot, and he was lying in the gutter. And whilst he was lying in the gutter, the moon came out from behind some clouds, and God spoke to him mm-hmm. from the moon mm-hmm. and said, "You have to mend your ways, and once you have mended your ways, you have to save up enough of money and to buy and buy the disused tin mine in the mountain." And so, from that moment on, he. Cleaned himself up. He started preaching on the streets of Patalbert. He did eventually save enough money. He bought the tin mine. They found a new vein of tin, and he became the richest man in (laughs) Patalbert. we he were... subsequently lost it all okay so <laughs> you can see a family pattern here but yeah you can see a family pattern but he became a preacher and he would and my mum remembers because he was never educated in school he couldn't write himself so the reason why i know this story is because one day he said to my mum who was studying uh to do uh shorthand to become a secretary um he said uh i want you to write down my life story and he dictated his life story to my mum who wrote it out you know on the typewriter and so I've read that and that's why I know this story and um and he became my mum says she can remember on uh, like stormy nights there'd be a banging on the door and there'd be a little kid there from the other side of the mountain saying our preacher is ill and he can't uh, do the sermon tonight will you come over and do it he was known as key my great-grandfather key which is welsh for dad i guess um and um and my mum said she would see key he would get his preaching stick and his preaching hat <laughs> and he would walk over the mountain under in the rain and then go and deliver a sort of fire and brimstone sermon and then come back home again my great-grandfather was a manic street preacher. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we
0: talked earlier about um, the Welsh sort of self-mythologizing and creating their own myths and that is a Welsh myth if ever I've heard one. I love it. <laughs> that is incredible. Um thank I you. I am doing the Welsh version <laughs> of
1: dropping the mic on that. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much for doing thank this, you. Michael. This has been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, And that, unfortunately, brings us to the end of the episode. Um, If this is the first time you've joined us, um, we have plenty of other stuff that you can go back and deep dive into if you you feel the need to. If you haven't heard the Manic Street Preachers before or you're not that familiar with their career, we have done every album that they released between... 1992 and 2004 and we've still got about half their career to go um, and there's lots of other fun stuff that we uh, have done along the way as well um, so yeah you can uh, get to us on Twitter at Mannix Podcast you can get to us on Instagram at Manix Podcast and you know what if you want to email us email us that's fine got no problem with it MannixPodcast at gmail.com uh, we are also available on all you know, all the podcast platforms so that just leaves us with one thing that you do have to remember which is that um, we live in urban hell and also we destroy rock and roll bye Sean Moore.
2: <laughs> fantastic ah!